0: Well hello there, you are listening to an episode of Den Discussions, in which I, Daniel James Sharp, converse with people I find interesting, and who would answer my email, on subjects that I also find interesting. These conversations are posted semi-regularly on my substack, Daniel's Den, on which, among other things, I also write and to which, of course, I heartily recommend you subscribe. Anyway, on to today's discussion. Let us begin. Hello. So today I'm talking to Ozki, or Ozzy, as I shall henceforth call him. Um, And and by the way, uh, he's not to be confused with the husband of Sharon as far as I know. (laughs) Uh, Ozzy is an anonymous writer, podcaster, and YouTuber whose opinions can be found on Substack, among other places, which I shall link to below. Uh, Ozzy is a conservative, and quite a provocative one, and a recent-ish, I think, convert to Christianity. Uh, So as with some others I've spoken to in these den discussions, um, I almost entirely disagree with him, since I am somewhat of a an unreconstructed new atheist and pretty staunch liberal leftist, albeit one um, perhaps slightly heterodox, Um, but I think those very disagreements are what make these conversations so fun, uh, or so I like to think. So today I just want to ask Ozzy about himself and his views, and hopefully we can have a fruitful discussion, which I'm sure we will. So welcome Ozzy.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Daniel. Um I'm I'm somewhat flattered. I, this is the first time I've ever been invited on someone else's podcast. Um so we'll we'll see. I, I, I sound somewhat like a cliche from the introduction. Uh, conservative recently converted to Christianity. Um <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, thank you. It's, it's much appreciated.
0: Well, this is your chance, I suppose, to correct the record then. Uh to start with the basics. Um Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your background, um, your reasons for anonymity, your choice of nom de guerre, um, and your Substack and the little platoon, etc. Which is actually quite a lot for a first question. Um, it to is yeah. yourself, but uh, <laughs> but take it away.
1: I should have brought a, a notebook up with me. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, God, where to start? Um, so yeah, I mean, as you say, I'm, I'm basically just um just a scribbler. I do other things in my spare time to to make the rent, um, various uh, manual labor jobs, um, proofreading, things like this., uh, still looking for a, for a full- time job. Um, I grew up in a small town in Essex, um and'm really grateful for that because I'm not really a city dweller as I discovered living in London for eight years, uh, but in London I studied uh, philosophy at a now defunct uh, college run by Catholics, Jesuits, in fact, um, and it's, it, it no longer exists because it turns out priests aren't very good financial managers, um, but yeah, I, I got my degree there, a little bit of philosophy of religion thrown in, a bit of theology, I was an atheist at the time, and politically um, very ill-formed, I suppose you could say i had sort of generic liberal presumptions um and when was that so that i finished uni in 2017 and i went straight on to do a masters in journalism um with my friend who you've sort of alluded to he runs the the little platoon youtube channel which does sort of tv and film reviews um and that that was extremely formative because i i love Journalism, the, in principle, I love journalism, um, and I went into the masters with all sorts of you know young dreams about becoming the next uh, Orwell or, or Christopher Hitchens, another hero of mine, and w- was profoundly disappointed when I realised that uh, contemporary journalists, for the most part, um, you know the, the kinds of people who who are quite happy to go unthinkingly into legacy media and then climb the rungs there um have no real passion for their subject as such. It's it's just um it's just another career, another profession. So that was extremely disillusioning and it it left me with um a, dare I say a, a somewhat Trumpian distaste for uh journalism for a while at least. And um since then, as I say, yeah, I've been I've been doing various odd things, um, including starting my own YouTube channel and and Substack. Um i co-founded the little Platoon, but um it, it it rapidly became clear that uh that ben uh and i were moving in different directions politically uh, religiously we, we were covering different subject matter so um he's sort of specialized in t- tv and film reviews and i do i the, the more political cultural stuff um and as for the name oski would you pronounce correctly uh okay <laughs> It doesn't really mean anything, if I'm honest. Um, it was Cuthbert Conker, um, but uh, it was pointed out to me that this was insufferably twee. So mm-hmm. um, I, Oski is similar to my real name, and I'm half Australian as well, so it's got that sort of Aussie ring to it. And um, the two eyes at the end kind of remind me of you know, classical Rome, like the Latin language. Uh, and it sounds vaguely Japanese as well, and I like Japanese stuff. So, yeah, that's that's what that means.
0: So have you, um, well, since you mentioned being half Australian, have you ever um, lived there or been there? I only ask because I have a friend who is currently sojourning there. Um, actually, the editor of Aerial magazine, um, Iona Italia, She's, she works for Quillite now, um, or in addition to editing Aerial. And she, um, she spent a lot of time in Australia recently.
1: I've heard really good things about area. Um, do you know where she's spending time there?
0: Um, well, last time it was Sydney, I think. So I'm assuming Sydney again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the place to go for, for you know, journalists. Um, yeah, no, I have been there three three times, in fact. Once when I was too young to remember uh, a second time when i could just about remember and i i did the typical gap year thing um before uni and I, I went there for i actually had no intention of coming back that's the interesting thing i i hated this country um when i when i left i, I didn't buy a return ticket um i just wanted to go and because i have a passport obviously australian passport and yeah i didn't want to come back and i spent time in uh brisbane um a to hick territory to be honest with you. Um with a brief visit to to Sydney. Uh what do they call bogans? Yeah. The Australians call their their word for chav is basically bogan. So I spent a lot of time in, you know, semi rural slash, you know, shading into outback territory. Um I stayed in a Buddhist monastery for a while, which was pretty cool. And then came home with my tail between my legs because I couldn't drive and had no money. And in a country almost as big as America, but with fewer people, you need to drive.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I um I would love to visit Australia, but I've never been, unfortunately. It's a great Um, place. Am I right in thinking it is? It's basically all coastal. There's a circle, um, around, um the interior of the country and that's where most of the population is and, and the almost the entirety of the interior is well is the bare well i was say the bare back the outback <laughs>
1: um yeah no i didn't do it out there um yeah no you're quite right i mean it's 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 just empty in the middle i mean you get towns and things like alice springs obviously is more or less dead set um dead in the center but uh it's mostly empty
0: mm. So what, what, um how did the Substack come about then? I mean, you spoke about your collaboration with Ben. Um, but yeah, so what what made you want to just write and put your opinions out into the world? Um, which as somebody who also does that is uh, uh, quite a, I, I, I was going to say brave thing to do, but it's not really um not bravery in the, in the truest sense of the word but it is quite brave to put your stuff out there and have the world judge it um so what 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 made you want to do that mm, um uh
1: that is a good question um well i'd always wanted to write um when i was really young i wanted to be a scientist but uh, it quickly became manifest to everyone who knew me that i had no talent in mathematics um, so I sort of honed in on my other love, which was reading and and writing. You know, I think most um this this sounds kind of like pretentious, but I'm sure you'll understand if because you're you're a writer yourself, you know, most born writers, quote unquote, um do it from an early age, and you find yourself needing to as well as wanting to. i get I get quite itchy if I don't set something down on paper on on a given day. Um, and as I got older and more opinionated, I would submit articles to magazines, um, some more ambitious than others. I've submitted a few to The Spectator, but they they never saw the light of day, as you can imagine. Um, and I just didn't have very much success in that um, at all. Maybe I wasn't very good at pitching people. Um, so when Substack came, I think I tried Medium for a while as well, but I, I didn't like that. Um, it sounds kind of mercenary to say this, but a big motivation for writing, um, and one of the motivations Orwell um hones in on in 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 his essay Why I Write is the ability to to make some kind of money off it as well. Um, I think it's you know, I, I don't want to sound too cynical. Um, there's there's a there's a romanticism to writing, don't get me wrong, and I, I would do it um for free anyway, but Substack came along and it presented, you know, the the twin opportunity on on this very rapidly growing platform, not just to get your opinions out there, but also to have some form of remuneration from people who appreciated what you were writing. Um and I thought, well, if I can, if I can link that to my YouTube channel as well, um, you know, I'll just get a little little platform going for myself. Mm.
0: Um Do you um um, I was just when you mentioned Orwell I, th- I thought you were actually going to say um, Johnson the no- nobody but a blockhead, uh, rights except for money which uh, <laughs> I think oh, is, yeah. I mean, well I should I, have, have, I should yeah. have mentioned that yeah no, no, that's, <laughs>
1: that serves my purpose much better we'll pretend I said that <laughs> what What about you if it just if I may ask like what what motivated you to
0: well kind of the same I suppose um, actually it's strange I um, before the call we both held up our uh, glasses of wine and our (laughs) vapes Um, and now that you've just said you know from an early age I wanted to be a scientist but you discovered you had no aptitude for maths well I was basically well I was was kind of the same that's what I want you know I I had dreams of being a scientist and a physicist um, who was going to revolutionize uh, the understanding of physics um mm. from a very young age uh, and then discovered I didn't really have much talent <laughs> in, in that sphere um but uh, but I had always read a lot and and written a lot um and enjoyed writing mostly creative writing at that stage I have to say which I've now kind of fallen out of uh doing and which I'm not quite sure that I'm actually all that skilled at but writing nevertheless um so, yeah, uh, and then when I went to uni, I thought, OK, I'm going to start contributing to um, websites and magazines. Um, you know, at first it was just student magazines and such like, which is actually how I first met Ben, um, or first came to know Ben, uh, because we both contributed to this uh, website called the National Student
1: Oh, yeah, I think I did too, actually, in defence of Corbyn, can you believe it? Um... Oh, oh, wow, God. (laughs) But
0: yeah, so I I think I saw an article of his and I I wrote a sort of article that was um, uh, different um, in Outlook, but an editor linked his article to mine and he commented on it and uh, so that's how I first got to, got to know him. But anyway, yeah. That, so that's mm. that's that's how it how it um, how it began. And yeah, since then I've just been doing the same, basically. Um, graduated um, in twenty twenty one.
1: That's a tough time um, to graduate.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I'm a bit older. I'm twenty seven now, so I, I started junior a bit later than most. But um, mm. um uh, but yeah, since then I've just been. I mean, I have a day job, um, and uh, I've I've just been trying to write as much as I can, and, and you know, doing Substack, but also trying to contribute to to magazines and and uh, more, shall we say, respectable outlets, if you like.
1: Um, yeah, it's, it's not
0: easy at all, as you say. It's pitching is a is a is a is a difficult art to master.
1: Yeah, it's like yeah. um it's like applying for jobs. You, you you can put so much time into into crafting mm. the perfect application and and it might never go anywhere and you've just wasted your time. Mm. Um I, I'm dying to ask, uh, sorry, I don't mean to turn the tables on you and, and start interviewing. Oh, no, 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 please do um I love talking
0: about myself. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> I always last I always love asking this question of, of anyone who writes. Um what are your um what are your opinions on style just broadly speaking? Because um you're you've you've you're working on a biography of christopher hitchens um as you've said elsewhere i hope i'm not no, yeah it. yeah um and i i have yet to see any very systematic treatment online of of Christa, christopher's writing style um but i i love it and one of the reasons i'm attracted to it is because it's so anti-utilitarian you know it, it is just so it, it, it's knotty uh, at yeah. points and it can be quite difficult but it's it's exciting. It's fizzy. It's got you know. It's full of punctuation and parentheses and interesting words. I, I sort of I'm am a stickler for that sort of thing or, or or weak for that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, my my main thought about style is that I wish I was a better stylist. <laughs>
1: well, that's probably a good sign that you're you your hum. You know, you don't elevate your own powers.
0: I would I would love to. I mean, whenever I read, actually, pretty much whenever I read anyone. Um, including you as it happens I think god I wish I could put that phrase together um, so I always get a bit jealous of other writers and I'm always I always think uh, why can't I do that why can't I put a sentence together like that
1: oh well I mean that's kind of you to say but um, trust me the feeling is is mutual I've read a couple of a couple of things of yours in preparation which I've I've admired and I think probably every writer suffers from that self-doubt at at, at some point
0: well, that's very kind of you to say um but yeah in terms of hitchens as style um yeah no i, I mean I, I i agree with what you're saying i don't think there's been a great treatment of it thus far um maybe that's something that i could put into the book um, um certainly it's it's, it's um, uh, a subject worth discussing especially uh, in tandem with a discussion of his rhetorical style, uh, which is, if anything, more impressive. Um, but I mean, I, do, I have heard, and I, I, I can see where, where the critics of his writing style come from, that he is very, as you say, naughty, um, sometimes quite dense. Um, but I, 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 like you, I, I quite enjoy that sort of style. It's, uh, well, to go back to, um, again, previous, uh, before the call, um, I mentioned Moby Dick. Um, that's I'm not saying Hitchens is you know on the level of Moby Dick or Herman Melville, but it's the sim it's a similar sort of thing is that these things are quite difficult to read, but they repay the effort that you put into them
1: they do. yeah. i I, I detest this sort of school of uh, philosophy of of um, prose construction, whereby the reader must find it easy. Uh, lucid. So, I mean, you should write lucidly. You, you shouldn't obscure your meaning. But uh, th- this idea that everything needs to be, uh, parceled up into nice, neat little Twitter chunks, uh, I I really do think it's um, damaging to sustained thought.
0: Mm. You know, I have been I've been um, reprimanded by editors before for doing um, sort of <laughs> Henry Jamesian um, sentences, very long. Um, sentences with commas and parentheses all over the place. Um, <laughs> well, they have their place. I, I quite like doing that. I quite like doing. That. I, I love doing a, a, a paragraph, a, parenthes- a, a parenthetical paragraph. Yeah, but a lot of editors don't like that. Um,
1: oh well, e- editors are editors. That's why they're not writers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh dear, don't, don't say that in your next pitch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs>
0: um yeah sorry we've got a bit um a bit far off topic here so i'm just that trying was, to remember who wanted to go next. you've got to <laughs> shut me up so don't worry <laughs> you've bamboozled me um so actually yes coming on to some of what you mentioned um tell me about your political development um your evolution if you like, as you said, you were uh, an atheist and uh, a and, uh, uh, sort of generic liberal, um, which you're not anymore. Um, I'm thinking more about the the political side of this right now, because we can come on to the religious stuff um, afterwards. But, uh, but yeah, tell, tell me about that.
1: Sure. Um, I mean, as with religion, um, when one looks back for uh the causality of one's present opinions—it's—it's it's often extremely difficult um, if you don't have the, you know, the kind of memory Christopher Hitchens had, for instance, um, and I certainly don't. Um, It's—it's it's difficult to sort of locate the the different markers, um, the different events. There's there's always going to be loads of stuff I I can't remember, but um, I was I became politically conscious at university. Um, and was convinced by a friend to vote green, I think in my first general election and then labor labor felt more natural to me because um my family are that they despise the conservatives they always have um my granddad comes from an extremely poor or came from an extremely poor family, and they they were lifelong labor voters um this was before any knowledge I had of of um tony blair and some of the things he did to the country um but i just sort of went along with it i didn't think too much about it i was much more interested in culture than politics and i suppose at some point i must have clocked that they were intimately related um and oh, i can't what was it was it in when? when did black lives matter first come to the fore do you remember
0: um, I can't remember. I mean, I think it's start, start coming coming up in about maybe twenty fourteen.
1: Yeah, that sounds about uh, right.
0: There was there was a shooting back then, and that's when they started to gain prominence. Mm. I could be wrong. I can't. I can't remember exactly. But I
1: think no, that sounds about right. I, they'd certainly been around for a while before they became really famous or infamous. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But 2017, my last year at uni, I remember that being, um, a really full year politically, um, because Black Lives Matter were were very much in the in the news, and Trump had just been or was about to be elected president. Um. Yeah, I think that was that year. Anyway, Trump, Trump was in the news. Uh, I I was then the editor of um my university magazine it, it was a newspaper but i turned it into a magazine because i because i could <laughs> um and we interviewed peter hitchens he came into the office and i and i met him and uh interviewed him and it, yeah it was about that time that i first began to really formulate my political opinions and as for why i'm conservative which i suppose is what you're driving at i mean it was it was less positive and more reactionary in in the purest sense I was seeing lots of things going on around me that I knew I didn't like instinctively, perhaps you know it's the way I was raised or whatever, and I just I just didn't buy it. I didn't buy a lot of the the crap that was going on around, and um, you know then I fell into reading Roger Scruton and Edmund Burke and and uh, these writers, um, as so often in the conservative tradition, they they kind of give you a grammar by which to understand pre-existing instincts um conservatism has never been as, as systematic as any left-wing ideology uh, or or indeed of, of liberalism programmatic liberalism um so it, yeah it was more a case of of uh, having the bare the, the instincts um the bones and and fleshing them out post hoc with with um i suppose an anthropology um i mean the main reason i'm conservative is because i find it it's anthropology just more convincing than any other anthropology. So not the anthropology of the atomized blank state Rousseauian man or 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 anything like this you know tabula rasa um, contractarianism anything like John Locke you know society begins with with consent um, I thought it was much more organic than that um, I don't know if that I, I feel like I'm rambling I don't know if that answers your question R- rambling
0: is is welcome here I do it all <laughs> the time um since you've brought up um sorry
1: if i if i can just add to that though really quickly um when i say i'm no longer a liberal i mean that is what i mean i I no longer buy into liberal philosophical presuppositions but i mean in my in my day-to-day life i mean i i can't i kind of can't not be liberal or um i'm fairly bohemian anyway I, i i probably drink too much and and smoke um but uh
0: Welcome to the party.
1: Yeah, uh, but I mean, I'm fairly liberal in my conduct. That isn't to say dissolute. Uh, it just, you know, I'm I'm a fairly tolerant. I'm not I'm not a firebrand or anything. Um, yeah.
0: Mm. So I mean, I was I was going to ask this later on, but it seems um, quite appropriate now. Um, if if you could uh, conjure your ideal society into being, what would it look like? Um, And since you said you're not a a liberal believer, um, does this mean that your perfect society would not have, for example, free speech? Or, well, actually, no, I'll I'll let you go now.
1: Um, Oh, yeah, that's, um, there's a tripwire somewhere in that question. (laughs) (laughs) Do you believe in free speech? Um, uh, Well, I mean, we, we... that, oh, that is a good question. I've never been asked that before. Um, I suppose partly because the the conservative imagination, uh, so to speak, isn't given to imagining utopias. Um, it's given to givenness if it, uh, I mean, any any society I described would would immediately have pitfalls. I mean, you can hold my feet to the fire if you want, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna slightly dodge the question by saying, um, if if I could press a button and we could go back to um, say 1920 um, or 1900, obviously there would be a great many things that I would not like. Um and people I know would not like and women I know would not like and, and gay friends would not like that. There would be all sorts of things that you wouldn't like, but, um, I think on a number of, you know, metrics, whether that be, uh, culture, um, uh, political intelligence and integrity, um, it, all sorts of things. I mean, 1900, 1920, let, let's just say I'd, I'd be quite interested in getting in a time machine and going back and, and seeing that country. Um,
0: I'm interested that you say 1920, given that that's after uh, the great cataclysm of the First World War.
1: Yeah, no, you're, you're, I didn't even notice that. For some reason in my head, 1920 was, uh, I think I was thinking of the Second World War. Uh, let's say 1900 then. But the, the problem is, you know, again, any attempt to describe your what, what is in, in effect a utopia um, immediately puts what you're describing in a kind of stasis. And I'm not one of these people that wants to, uh, I mean, a lot of conservatives, um, particularly young conservatives who are kind of adjacent to, you know, trads in the religious sphere, they've, they've got this image in mind of what they want. Um, it's often actually quite a, a postmodern image, as it happens, um, or, or a modern image. And they they just want to use the levers of the state to go back to a, a, as close to that state of affairs as possible, and I just don't a I don't think that's possible, and b I don't think that's desirable because the whole point of society is that it is in a constant state of flux and change, and it's just what you do about that. So I think I'd be better at saying what I don't like in present society than than describing my my perfect society. But you know, to 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 indulge the question, I mean, um, I would have more people religious i suppose not forcefully i'm not i'm not a an integralist have you heard of the integralists yeah very yeah 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 i just i i maybe i'm too anglican to like them um, but i mm-hmm. i you can't compel faith you you can't compel religious assent so that that's a no go but i i'd certainly have more people um religious um i would have more families more children um a less wasteful state significantly reduced immigration levels i mean you know you could go on um yeah
0: okay well uh, as um a lot of that sidestepped the question but in fairness my question was also um slightly um fascist no, fascist, fascist mm. oh god i can't even pronounce it fascist fascist no <laughs> <laughs> not fascist no <laughs> no fascist facetious am i, I saying that right
1: F- facetious i think
0: facetious yes
1: yeah sounds um, like a disease
0: yes um my question was somewhat facetious um i confess and admit um but still i do notice that you didn't talk about free speech much which is one
1: of my oh my goodness sorry questions. yes um that i i quite forgot um free speech i mean well i i i mean i i broadly in, i am in favor of it i mean there, there are no i i don't have any conditions there um i'm i'm a free speech absolutist i guess okay. i mean i haven't given <laughs> it any recent systematic thought but um no i i don't see any way around that um you've got to be able to say uh, unpleasant things or you that to me, that's just a given. It's a red line. You, you have to be, a, obviously I believe in, in libel laws. I, I mean, there's, um, they can be strong or weak, you know, you, different libel laws in different countries, but I kind of wish Britain had uh, uh, an equivalent to the first amendment of, of the constitution, because for all my criticisms of um codified constitutions, um it remains the case that you are more free to speak your mind in America than in contemporary Britain and i think you and i both know uh what subjects and what demographics you're you're maybe slightly more nervous about discussing
0: yes yeah no i i, I agree in fact i'm surprised uh, well not surprised but glad to hear you to say that i've said or thought quite a lot about uh the Britain should certainly have a First Amendment-style protection of free speech. Um, um, yeah, so I mean, I mean, the example I was thinking, and again, I don't mean to press you on this.
1: No, go for uh, it. I, I, it, I in, like in being your,
0: In your utopia, or not quite utopia, but in your um, in your world, um, and I'm thinking right now of a recent news story. Um, what if what if people burnt the Bible on the street, or um, created artworks like piss, piss Christ, um, things like that? Would that still be acceptable?
1: It's funny you should mention piss Christ because um, <laughs> uh, uh, Sister Wendy Beckett. I'm not sure if you've heard of her. She she's dead now, I think, but um, she was a she was a Catholic nun. Um, and she did a series of art criticism programs, a bit like sort of the the Uber Catholic version of Brian Sewell. Um, and Piss Christ was one of the works she she analyzed, and she was like strangely um positive about it. Um no, I, I don't think that I don't think that person should face any legal legal repercussions at all. Um unless, of course, you know, you meet you meet um, the, the standard criteria for incitement to violence, um, which is already enshrined in law. I mean, I, I would find it distasteful. Um, I, it's like Orwell said in Homage to Catalonia. You know, when he was sickened by the, the burning of uh, Catholic um, Catholic churches and Auden for that matter, because people mm. forget W. H. Auden was was in Spain, Republican Spain, um, for a, for a period, and he felt the same thing. Um but
0: so Orwell say that he was sickened by the burning of those churches.
1: I think he did. I I I'm pretty sure he did. I could be I wrong. Think he, I, could.
0: I think he should have but I think maybe it was that he was um one of the less savory aspects is that he was kind of indifferent to it.
1: Oh really? Okay, well I if that's the case then I then, then I stand corrected. But, um,
0: again I I may be wrong as well. I may be misremembering.
1: Well, I'll, I'll look it up afterwards. Um, yeah, no, if I'm wrong, I'd like to know. Um, but no, I mean, I don't know where I'm presuming you. You think that someone burning the Bible shouldn't face legal repercussions? I, I, I will add to that though that um, I mean, this is slightly tendentious, but it's it 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 is related. Um, you can preach from say the Quran in in public in Britain, and you know. Pretty much any passage you read, you're not going to face legal repercussions because the re- the repercussions of that would be would be fairly enormous. Um, but there are an increasing number of people uh, who you know street preachers who who read from the Bible and and, and get arrested. Um, I I, I will get on to religion, I imagine, but um, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say, and I know atheists who've said this who are slightly sympathetic to my point of view. I think it's fair to say that um Christianity is to a degree under attack in, in this country. Um
0: Yes, no, I wouldn't. At one I,
1: level, at one level, you know, obviously we've got, you know, we we've, we've just had the the coronation and that's an explicitly Christian ceremony, but uh, I do think at one level Christians don't have it as easy as certain other religious groups.
0: Yes, no, I mean there's certainly a great deal of that that I agree with. Um I mean, I think it can be exaggerated and overdone hmm. and often is. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, essentially I agree. I, I mean, there was that case of the preacher who was saying something about gay people um, or quoting from the Bible about gay people or, or whatever it was. And he was arrested, wasn't he? Um, I can't remember the exact details of the case. It was, um, I think it was like last year or the year before.
1: Yeah, it was um, it was a black guy, um, and yeah, I think that was the passage in question. Uh, I'm not, yes. I'm not sure what became of him.
0: Things like that, yes. I mean, that, I find that utterly appalling. Um, you know, as a as a gay atheist liberal, <laughs> I, I I find that sort of thing disgusting. Um, uh, and also as it happens, um, when it comes to things like piss Christ or. Uh, burning Qurans or Bibles um, personally I wouldn't do such a thing and I, mean, I, I kind of feel some revulsion at it um, you know I'm not immune to the to the, to the claims of the faithful about how sacred these texts are and how offensive it is to them um, I think it's vulgar uh, to do such a thing um, but I don't think it should be illegal um, uh contrary to the claims of, of 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 some people including right now it seems the Danish and Swedish governments uh, in response to pressure from um, Islamic countries. Um, so it's not yeah, it's not something I would do myself and you know I, I think um did you ever watch that uh, old uh, conversation that they did with the, with the new atheists the the four horsemen <laughs> as they were called,
1: I did, yes. I, I, I've, um, I've seen it a few times. I think it's greatly enjoyable.
0: Yes, they mention, or I think Hitchens mentions Piss Christ during that, um, and he says something like, "Uh, you know, um, you know, I, I don't think that's the sort of thing we would like or we would want to do, um. You know, it's yeah, it's it's cheap and it's it's vulgar and it's pointless. We don't want to." Um, embrace that sort of thing we can have our respect for religious sensibilities and religious artwork uh, without um, at all being religious or being pro-religion and I think that's quite an interesting distinction to make uh, I yes. think it's also God is not great said something like um, as long as you've read Antigone uh, then you know um, uh, to shy away from sacrilege uh, and we leave it to to religious people to um commit sacrilege against other religions
1: yeah that, that that they're always good at although the church of england is good at committing sacrilege against its own um yeah. it's own people.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, but just, just quickly though i mean the four horsemen conversation and what you've mentioned there i mean that that's why christopher was always uh oh look at me first name basis um <laughs> That's why he was always the most interesting of the four. Um, because he he always pulled back where where the others, I think particularly Dennett and Dawkins, um, charged ahead and, and could, I think, sometimes shade into a, a certain vindictiveness towards the faithful. And, and one of the wonderful things about Hitch is that no matter how vociferous he was on stage, um, you you know, because there's just plenty of evidence for it that he was actually really quite sweet and charming to his some of his religious interlocutors after the fact.
0: Yes, maybe, maybe a couple, not so much, but...
1: Yeah, Al Sharpton. <laughs> <I
0: think. laughs> um, yeah, though, again, on that, uh, um, I've always found it strange that people can't disagree, even vociferously, even perhaps quite violently, you know, figurative sense and not be friends because i am i friends with quite a lot of people who i who whose whose whole world view i'm um i was going to say appalled at but not quite appalled but in complete disagreement with um you know some of my favorite memories from university are my late night chats with um this uh, spanish catholic um and you know we Obviously, came from very different backgrounds and uh, had very different opinions, but we could sit down and have a smoke and a drink, um, well, quite a lot of drinks, and hash our differences out and still be on good terms with each other. I just don't understand why that's not possible in so many cases.
1: I, I quite agree with you. I had a similar experience at university. I remember speaking to um, a Roman Catholic chap at uh, at a pub, and I don't know how the conversation got onto this, but he he basically said, uh, half in jest, uh, only half worryingly, that if it were up to him, he'd put all the gays in barrels. I think he said, and and <laughs> tip them off a, a waterfall. And myself, not being one hundred percent straight, this was, you know, alarming to me. Um, uh yeah. but you know, I, I I still I still went to the pub with him. You know.
0: Yes, I mean. To be fair, that sounds slightly threatening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, he can he can try and put me in a barrel, but he, he, I, I'm not going to let him. Let me put it that way. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, going back to your point about um, sort of evolution of, of beliefs and opinions, um, uh, and actually relate to what I just said about being friends with people who disagree with you. Um, Back back in the day, I was as a as a child, I was a pretty insufferable Christian in some ways. Uh, and then, and oh how how corrupt <laughs> how he corrupted me! A friend in high school introduced me to Richard Dawkins, and uh, from then on, I've been a pretty vociferous atheist. Um, but strangely enough, that friend now, though he has variously been a communist and a Scottish independence supporter, is now. It's the used... same
1: thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, I'm joking. I don't know where you stand on that. I don't mean to offend. <laughs>
0: no, well, actually, I'm, I'm 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 a unionist in the old Labour. Um, uh, good, good for you. Um, but he he now is a is a pretty uh, staunch burkean conservative. Um, so perhaps he's evolved more than I have. Actually, he's an evolutionary biologist. Um, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so he, he introduced me to that. And since then, I've just kind of continued along that path. Perhaps that makes me a bit more fundamentalist and fanatical than other people like my friend or like you, who have uh, changed their opinions uh, significantly over the years. Um, well, yeah. Um yeah Sorry, that, that
1: was just a that was just a rambling reflection there but. no no it's fine I, I, <laughs> I'll, I'll briefly rejoin that um I mean yeah I mean that that's that's one interpretation um on the other hand if you if you're convinced that something is right and you're unwavering in that um I, I think that's admirable too i mean i am I'm, I'm far from certain in in most of my beliefs to be honest with you um like I said earlier that they're, they're they're far more instinctual than they are you know developed and and codified and all the rest of it um my, my faith waxes and wanes um yeah I, I don't think you need to worry about that
0: yeah. do you know it just came to me uh, i remember writing a story in school uh, for english um which possibly i still have somewhere it wasn't a very good story um but one of the well two of the characters in this were husband and wife of many years and one of them was a staunch atheist, and one of them was a staunch Christian, and they uh, still remained in love and together throughout their life. Now I'm not sure if that would actually happen, uh, but I, I like the idea of it that these differences can be bridged, um, and that people can love each other despite them. Though perhaps, perhaps it's not the case that they would actually be married. Uh, that might be a bit too utopian. Yeah
1: the atheist would probably draw back from the marriage proposal because um it's it's not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> no no I again I, I completely agree with you. I my favorite line of poetry ever by my favorite poet Auden um we must love one another or die. Mm. And I I I fundamentally believe that. Um it's why I don't like well I mean it's 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 enjoyable sometimes but it's why the culture war is so toxic in the end and and trashy because it um it undermines um, the possibility of of mutual love, uh, yeah.
0: Mm. That's funny you meant, uh, you um, you mentioned Auden because, um, well, I mean that that poem that's um, September nineteen thirty nine, isn't it? We must love one another a day.
1: Uh cool, cool. yeah. I th- I think I think so. Um, I should know this. Um, yeah, I think it is either that or September nineteen thirteen. No, September. Uh, uh, what am I talking about? Spain. Um, one of the two.
0: Anyway, I, I read that that poem. Well, I mean, I read it before, but I read it last year in Manhattan, where it was written. I think.
1: Oh, fantastic! It's
0: quite nice, you know, on a bar in what, Lower Forty Second Street. Is the low dishonest decade comes to an end? Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, poetic reveries aside <laughs> um, well since we've been talking about it for a while now let me ask you about your um, religious journey which again you've written about on your substack uh, and I'll link to your substack in the notes um, uh, so but yes yeah, it's, it's a good article um, so let's you know if you will recapitulate your your uh, journey from infidelity
1: to faith mm, um well i'm glad you thought it was a good article because i was i was unsatisfied with it um the moment i pressed publish um sorry
0: all the time that's what i feel all the time but anyway sorry oh,
1: good. well that's that's encouraging but i mean I, I genuinely mean that on a subject um on the subject of faith in particular i mean that that's uh yeah, no, I was unsatisfied with it. Um. Uh, well. Uh, I was never an entirely satisfied atheist. Um, so w- when I was at uni, um, like I mentioned, it was a uh, it was a Catholic university technically, uh, even though it was a, a constituent college of the, the University of London. So you know, it had its secular elements. Um. Ben, a.k.a. the little platoon and I, were the two sort of village atheists. And he was and still is. Um, I mean, this isn't to say that he's not questioning, um, but he he's very much more content with the atheist um, proposition. And I never really was. I was always um, questing after something else. And it, it, I mean, I could go on for hours about this, um and and still make no sense but to boil it down it was a mixture of uh well i suppose i'm obliged to say christ calling me um and philosophy and aesthetic and uh intuitive experiences which converged um so for instance um one of many examples i could give i i tend to buy into uh I suppose with caveats, um, CS Lewis's argument, it's got a name. It's got a, a name in, in philosophy. I can't remember it, but, um, if you, if you, the argument goes basically, if, if you thrill to beauty, um, that must mean that, that there's some ultimate beauty to which you thrill. Um, if, if you thrill to love, there's some ultimate love to which you thrill. Um, and so when I would listen to, and I'm, I'm a big lover of classical classical music and blues, my two favourite genres. But um, listening to, a, a, you know, a particularly profound piece of classical music, you know, Bach's aria "Elbama um, Dich," for instance, um, I, I I couldn't rest content with the proposition that the beauty I was experiencing had no ontological uh, uh, anchor. Uh, I, I couldn't rest content with the idea that it was a purely naturalistic phenomenon. Um, certainly, you know, if you were to scan my brain while listening to Bach, there are all sorts of scientifically intelligible things going on, but it 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 just didn't satisfy me. Uh, that was it. Um, so that, that was the aesthetic component. And uh, philosophically, uh, a really influential book in my conversion was uh, The Experience of God by David Bentley Hart, um which gave me a philosophical grammar um that there's this brilliant debate on youtube between bertrand russell and uh i think frederick coppleston whose own history of western philosophy is is much better than bertrand russell's but it's it's in multiple volumes um and they're debating various classical uh, metaphysical arguments for the existence of god um the argument from contingency and so on um and Hart, because it those those arguments when you hear them from such mouths uh, can can seem rather outdated. But David Bentley Hart put them in a sort of contemporary idiom, and he he's actually a, a, he's a, he's he's he was actually going to debate Christopher Hitchens. This might be useful for your biography, um, and it they they never got round to it because I, I think that was around the time Hitch was was diagnosed with uh, with cancer. Um, but it's a shame, a real shame they never got to debate because David Bentley Hart is basically Christopher Hitchens if he was a Christian. So he's equally as um, recondite and oratorically sharp and allusive and, and so on. It would have been the debate to end all debates. Uh, so it's a real shame they never got round to it. But um, yeah, that, that book was formative and various other things. Um and lo and behold i i i wanted to believe for right, so i resisted it for a long time then i went through a period of wanting to believe but just not being able to and then one morning i woke up and i i just sort of did um i just i just i simply did believe um and that that's the that's the truncated version
0: yes well for the full version um Uh, anyone who is listening the millions of people who are listening should read uh, the article Um, now I think it's quite it's it's strange actually I mean I'm quite a bullish um, person generally except when speaking to people Um, uh, which actually that I mean this this is going to make me sound a bit um, um, narcissistic but um, Orwell when he wrote very negative things about people um, whenever he met them face to face couldn't understand why they hated him um, and thought well you know what we're meeting person to person human to human and talking and and therefore we should be perfectly uh, civil to each other we're not going to say the same things that we might say on the page to each other um, so it makes me kind of hesitant to say that the, the story you just told as as beautiful it is as it is and as much as it evokes the sublime i mean it just seems like nonsense to me to be perfectly honest I have to say that and I don't i don't think you'll take offense to that but it just doesn't sound no like of course not i convincing reason for belief
1: it I, mean, I I have to say I, I do want to let you continue because I, I you know I, i'm sure you have um you know some some pushback but uh it it's still i'm not dissatisfied with i've never been um, satisfied with my own uh with my own framing of my conversion and um it's it sounds like nonsense to me too um which is rather depressing from my perspective but but do go on
0: well i suppose i mean the challenge i would put to you there is the exact same story could be told by a Muslim, or Mormon, or a Jew, or a Hindu, or anyone else of any particular cultural background, um, and yes, perhaps it attests to some psychological experience uh, in their uh, mind, but that doesn't actually mean that those, uh, you know, the, the the claims of those religions are true. Uh, you know, you might believe. That you've had an experience and that's real that's a real psychological experience that you've had but that says nothing about whether a there is a god or b uh, that god is this particular god of this particular religion who has certain rules uh, that you have to live by uh you know to i mean this hedgesian thing to say but <laughs> you've you've got all your work ahead of you uh, as i think he said uh, in some debate or other, uh, you know, even, it's it's just not, I mean, the claim that a God exists, let alone that a God is interested in, in human affairs, is ultimately an empirical claim, and ultimately it is an empirical claim without any evidence whatsoever. And all the subjective evidence that you have just given me could be spoken by the, uh, the, um, advocate of any other religion that's ever existed
1: yeah um no you're i mean you're quite right i've read my hume um and indeed my christopher hitchens um you're you're quite right um you you can only get to to deism or let alone theism through philosophical argument you can't get to to a particular faith no i mean i i, I accept that um I suppose if I could push back somewhat, um...
0: please do. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is. Yeah, uh,
1: <laughs> I, I should have, um, I should have issued like a, a warning, a promissory note at the beginning. So, if you get me on the subject of religion, I promise you, I'll make no sense and I'll, I'll be extremely dissatisfying. Um, I mean, to, uh, two th- two broad things. Then um, the first is that. Uh, if not uniquely, I know that might be too strong a word, but it's certainly characteristic of Christianity that uh, it it really hinges on a, an encounter with with a person, not a code. So Islam might fall into the latter category, um, and and yeah, Christianity falls into the form. I mean, you don't you don't need to have a, a personal encounter or, or, or feel that you have a personal relationship with the Prophet Muhammad or or with Buddha or with Guru Nanak um, to to be to be a a Muslim um Buddhist or Sikh so far as I as so far as I know um Christianity is it absolutely hinges upon a, a person um a historical figure um who who you know Christians believe was was God basically uh in the flesh um what was the second point that I had to make um? Oh God, hinge my help! Help me out here! Don't leave (laughs) (laughs) floundering. Um, what was I going to say? I've either had too much wine or too little. Um, (laughs) bum bum bum.
0: Well, the well, I mean, one of the points that I said was um, that you know basically all these arguments could be said by a member of any other religion and you've kind of addressed that as well but maybe that was
1: oh no no that was it yeah sorry sorry thank you i had uh, a brain fart as as, as they say um I, cs lewis had this wonderful line something about christ being the key to human experience and that's certainly how i feel and and felt during my conversion um or else i might well have, have converted to some other religion because i've always been interested in in different religions but back when i was about 15 my my dad brought home from london uh, uh, the dk book of world religions and i i flicked through this thing furiously and i think in the space of you know a single dinner with my family i i started the the you know the dinner uh, a sikh and, and ended it a muslim and went <laughs> up and Listen to the azan before bedtime, and, and then I woke up a Jew, and <laughs> all these different things. Yeah. Um, but the reason Christianity um, appealed to uh, appealed to me was because um, the story that it tells throughout the Bible of human beings being uh, fallen and in need of redemption. Um, and there's that lovely line from uh, Athanasius that God became man so that man might become god um that that whole story of christianity uh it just seemed to make much more sense of not just human nature at large but my own experience of my own human nature um that the whole doctrine of, of original sin uh i mean nietzsche himself um was was uh sympathetic to that doctrine although he stated it in secular terms um I don't see how anyone could look into their own heart and their own psychology and their own conduct and not conclude that there is something uh, uh, metaphysically amiss with, with them. Um, and insofar, you know, just take, pick another example from, from the ether, I mean, insofar as the you can conceive the Trinity as this eternal um, dialogue, um, that there are very interesting uh, there are very interesting analogs between the Trinity and human psychology, insofar as uh, human beings are are social beings. When we love one another, we're we're loved. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of a way to formulate this. I mean, yeah, it was Roger Scruton, for instance. He had had this wonderful. Uh, line about um in, in his book the soul of the world when you go to see a painting like mona lisa um you know the the materialist mindset says okay all you're really looking at is a collection of pigments on the page and roger Scruton says okay but that that's one sort of heuristic that that's that's the scientific perspective on that but the religious perspective as it were is that you're actually beholding another subject who's looking back at you and addressing you eye to eye and um, with the Trinity, the, the sort of echoes there, because in, in the eternality of of the Godhead in in three persons, God is beholding His own divine image in the form of the Son, and the Son is beholding God, and both are beholding the Holy Spirit, and the, so it 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 kind of um, I'm not putting this well. I I know that as I'm saying this, but uh, it it kind of maps the the way that the human mind works in relation to other people because you're you're not fully yourself, uh, unless you're in relation to other people and you're, you're most fully yourself when you're in uh, loving relations with other people because to be truly, to be loved is in effect, to be truly known. Um, so I suppose what I'm trying to say very ineffectually, no doubt, you're probably sitting there shaking your head, <laughs> um, is, is that I, I thought, uh, and, and and I still think that there's a great deal of concord between the the Christian story and the Christian conception of God and the human story and the, 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 and the, and human nature and what our ultimate destiny is. Um, but I mean, these are the ramblings of an Anglican, uh, of a liberal Anglican, you know, they're, they're, um, that it, you won't, you wouldn't hear any of this from the Westboro Baptist church. That's for sure. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, I th- I'll I'll stop there because I, I I no doubt you're you're sort of white knuckled at this point. But...
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, you know I, I mean I mean maybe it's just a different way of looking at things. Um, actually, there's quite a lot I would like to say in, in response to that, but I'm not going to go into everything because that would take far too long a time. I'll save that for a late night over the fire with tumblers of whiskey in our hands. Oh.
1: Well, I'm, I'm happy to keep going for as long as you want to keep going, because I, I, I am enjoying this. So you, you're, you're the host, you, you you call the shots.
0: Well you're the guest, you call the shots. <laughs> well,
1: in which case, uh, keep going.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think, okay, so the first thing that I think is wrong with that is, as aesthetically appealing as it may be, is that it's a, it's an argument from analogy, and false analogy at that. It's it's like those new age spiritualists who look at distant galaxies and and say, "My God, that looks like an eye, or a human brain." Look at those look those lines of of, of stardust look like human synapses. Um, it's an argument from symbolism, but that's not really an argument. That's it. It's just coheres to some preconceived story um, that we. I- already have it's, it's, it doesn't say anything about whether this thing is true or not
1: um I, so sorry i'm i'm sorry to interrupt can i can i just jump in there really quickly yes i mean symbols symbols by their very nature point to higher realities um i mean i'm i'm uh, perhaps I, sh- I should push back somewhat um what one of the reasons i find the the atheist worldview dissatisfying is that as critics of religion atheists are you know depending on who you're talking to really good but well organized religion certainly but i'm always interested to in know okay so you you've you 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 discount the the religious worldview you discount this you discount that but i mean i was about to ask what's your explanation of x y and z but the, the 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 thing I've always wanted to impress upon atheists since my conversion, have, having been in 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 your shoes, um, is, I mean, you mentioned the word empirical earlier, and I, I can't remember in precisely what context, but that there are there's there's a left-brained way of looking at things and, and a right-brained way of looking at things, and and this isn't woo-woo, you know, this this is, um, if you, you read the work of the psychiatrist Ian McGilchrist, uh, fellow Scott um he's good man <laughs> yeah he's um he's pretty good on this um i mean it it it's no good and this is this is where I, I part company with with you know fundamentalist christians because the 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 manner of reading the bible that they take uh is um is actually quite recent it, it, if you look at the earliest you know if you look at the church fathers and the, the earliest biblical exegetists or however you say it i mean that they're, they're quite um they're, they're quite intellectually vivacious in the way that they interpret various passages and what they might mean philosophically theologically aesthetically poetically um but one thing they don't do is fall into the trap of imagining that the religious argument can be reduced to asking for empirical evidence. I mean, I'm not saying you're, you're as simplistic as Bertrand Russell, you know, where is God, um, you know, you know, the teapot orbiting Pluto, whatever it was. Um, but there's a, there's a kind of grammar in which these arguments are stated and they'll either appeal to your, your innermost intuitions or not. And, and, I don't think intuitions are to be discounted. I think they're actually incredibly suggestive and important. Um, So, I I mean, I'll I'll let you carry on, but I mean, I I am interested in knowing, you know, what, what, uh, there's no way of, there's no way of saying this without sounding like a, you know, GCSE student, but where do you think it all came from? Kind of a thing. If you see where I'm driving at, you know, what, what, what is, uh, what is the purpose of, what, why does anything exist rather than nothing at all? Um, you know, what is the, uh, are aesthetic experiences of beauty or of love suggestive of anything higher to your mind, you know, maybe in a platonic way or, you know, where do you stand on some of these things?
0: It's quite interesting though, because I think, and I don't think you intended it, but you just pulled a trick there. Um, essentially everything you said, was, um, you know, this explanation has to be satisfying, um, it has to appeal to me, it has to appeal to my soul, to my emotions, um, which ultimately is a subjective argument and anyone can make a subjective argument about anything. Um, And then you ask, well, then you ask an empirical question about what is the source of everything? What you know, why is there something rather than nothing? Well, why? no, it's
1: not. It's not an empirical question. That's that's the point. I mean, the the question why is there it something, is. Of course nothing? It is. No, I mean, okay. If that's an empirical question, by what scientific means does one go about beginning to to answer that? I mean, it's a philosophical question, right?
0: Well, philosophy and science are pretty closely interrelated. But I mean, the whole idea of why is there something rather than nothing is one of the one of the great um, subjects in science at the moment, in physics at the moment. Um,
1: but it can't it can't be answered by the scientific method because it 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 would be circular. You're you're using naturalistic methods to to try to answer why there are the possibilities of of naturalistic methods. I mean, it, it no, would be perfectly no, circular.
0: No. no, it's. I mean, that's. I mean, I think that's possibly to, uh, possibly a, a misapprehension of of what quite a lot of people say about um, scientific answers is that well science presupposes or assumes that naturalism is the only explanation uh, which is not the, which is not all the truth the only presupposition of science is that evidence and reason are the only paths to truth um okay uh, you can okay, agree, with, okay, that that, that's, you can that's agree with that or not wait, wait. And, and and naturalism therefore is a conclusion of the sciences which do not rule out the possibility of the supernatural um or the divine um, Those could be around the corner, perhaps we'll discover them one day, but so far we haven't, and all the evidence suggests that those things don't exist or have no utility in explaining things. Um, But they're not a presupposition of the sciences, they're a conclusion of them.
1: Um, Well, I
0: uh,
1: I dispute with what confidence you could conclude that. Um, the way I would phrase it, given what you've just said, I, I promise I'll shut up. I keep interrupting you. People... <laughs>
0: no, no, it's okay.
1: I think you're erecting uh, um methodological naturalism into metaphysical naturalism unjustifiably. Um I mean, there are all sorts of there are all sorts of things that we don't understand about the universe, right? And science is the best method that we have of understanding how those things work. But they're of a particular order; those phenomena, they're of a particular typology. um uh, you, you see, the, the the thing that you're seeking to explain will have a kind of explanation that suits it, right? So, if you say, "Why do you love your girlfriend, or your wife, or your boyfriend, or whatever," um you you would be hard pressed to provide a scientific explanation, even though you know you again you could scan your brain and look at what's going on in there and your endorphins and so on. But, but the explanation that you give won't be on the same level as a, as an empirical one. Um, Even though your love for your partner is, is going to manifest itself empirically. Um, You you said, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I think you said that uh, science is, is, uh, oh God, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, Naturalism and and, um, reason or reason and logic, reason and science, something like that, was the the only way of understanding the world, or something. I, I sorry, what did you say?
0: Well, essentially that, yeah. I mean, the 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 only path we know of for understanding the world is reason and evidence.
1: Ah, okay. Which is so, not
0: at all, by the way, because um, I know how 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 uh, scientific and reductionistic that makes sense. It's not at all to dismiss the literature. Uh, the arts and literature and 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 so on and so forth. Um, as I said, I'm very much um, a member of that of uh, of that field. I, I, I um, love literature and art and everything else. Um, but in terms of finding out about the world at large, um, these are perhaps not the best ways to go about it. I mean, literature is the expression of a particular. Um, um authors output it's an emotional it's a way of to 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 use jerry Coyne's terminology it's a way of feeling rather than um knowing um the only way to actually know about the world is through those methods um i i i
1: flatly disagree i'm afraid i i think i mean i have a lot of respect for jerry Coyne as a scientist but um i think he's wrong there that there is more than one way of knowing i mean that that's i th- i think that's where our fundamental disagreement is uh, there's it, i think it's a a grave mistake and um and uh, a legacy of of uh, as i as i said before con- erecting scientific uh, methodological naturalism into metaphysical naturalism um to 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 imagine the only way of knowing anything is by way of those processes um, there, there are all sorts of way to know all sorts of ways to know all sorts of ways to know things, and it 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 depends on the method and the object that you're you're applying that method to. I mean, when it comes to certain large philosophical metaphysical questions, uh, you know, why does anything exist rather than nothing at all? Um, being one of them, um I just don't see. And I, I, this by the way, I mean I have the utmost respect for for science. i mean, like I said earlier, I wanted to be a scientist when I was younger. But I, I genuinely don't see how the scientific method could have anything to say on that subject because I I think it is just by def by definition um, outside its its remit um, to say thing. to say that science and evidence are the only way reason and evidence the only ways to know anything is is to put the cart before the horse because by what uh what what um process of 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 you you, you can't erect that as a kind of a priori standard by what method of of reason exactly and evidence... you can but but by you what method what, you can as only erect it as, as, if as you conclude that reason and evidence are the only ways to understand things i i just don't get it
0: well i'm not going to con- i mean that is a provisional conclusion in the way of true philosophy and science um it's the only way we know so far to discover the truth about the universe um uh, but this this isn't to erect some sort of a priori structure on which it's built it's just that this i don't think we even need to talk about that it's just that this is the only way we actually have found out anything about the universe um you know we we haven't found out anything from any other method um, and so as far as we know, this is the best method, uh, to do so, uh, we don't need to, and, and yeah, we can, we can philosophize and, 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 um, talk about a priori assumptions and all the rest of it, but when it comes to actual conclusions and results, uh, that's a different matter entirely. And the scientific yeah, but... method is the only method no, that's far you... known
1: to achieve that. You you say you say conclusions and results and and I'm, I'm... provisional
0: conclusions and provisional results always provisional.
1: Sure, provisional, uh, certainly, but um, it, it's those words, conclusions and results. I mean that that's uh, again, it depends what you mean by knowledge. If you mean knowledge of how the uh, natural world, by which I mean you know physics, biology, chemistry, um, functions in in relation to each other. Uh, sure i mean that's that's one form of knowledge scientific knowledge and the best method of obtaining that knowledge is the scientific method but there are other forms of knowledge uh, poetic knowledge metaphorical uh knowledge intuitive knowledge that there are also in daily experience if you attend to it um uh if if you attend to your daily experience there are all sorts of things that you that you know or act as if you know um that that couldn't be arrived at through those methods, but which are are equally significant to to you and and your life and to to, to everyone's lives. Um I just yeah, I just um I I think it's those
0: those are those are for the most part um either um evolutionary adapted social responses and cues and knowledge and all of that and or their subjective things and that doesn't mean they're not real they're real and they're useful and in many t- in many cases they're beautiful um, but they are just subjective they don't actually tell you about the origins of the universe and they can never tell you about the origins of the universe or anything else they can't tell you about how uh, the, the universe functions um, you know those are completely subjective things and they are as real as anything else in your own mind, uh, just as all illusions, illusions are real. Um, a mirage is real. Uh, if you look um, out in the desert onto a mirage, that experience within your own brain is real. And even in the exterior world, there are certain patterns of light and refraction uh, that create that illusion for you. But that doesn't actually mean there's a pool there that you can drink from.
1: yeah um i mean in that instance certainly um
0: no i think I, in all instances, these these are just things in the brain and it doesn't mean they're not real it just means that they're not ways to discover um the truth about the universe mm, mm.
1: yeah um I, I think I think there's more than one way to to truth um, than the scientific method. But uh, I mean, we we could go <laughs> we could we could uh, go around in circles for hours on on this subject, as as I have done with with others. Um, um, but no, I, I mean, I take your point. I, I, I take your point.
0: Okay, so before we okay, so before we take leave of the subject, then because as you say, we could go around for hours. Uh, I know, I certainly could. <laughs>
1: Oh, if, uh, trust me, if, if we uh if we were in person you know as you said earlier ensconced in armchairs with with glass <laughs> whiskey, uh, we'd be up till 3 a.m <laughs>
0: smoking our pipes and drinking our whiskey
1: oh i do i do love a good pipe yeah
0: mm. well actually that's um i mentioned that earlier my friend my spanish friend um one of my favorite memories is sitting with him in a couple of chairs uh with our pipes um And our drinks, just smoking and drinking and talking um, until the early hours, as there was a big party going on around us. Um, Anyway, oh, you've successfully distracted me from my point now. Uh,
1: (laughs) Not, not successfully rebutted, I note.
0: (laughs) But you, but okay. So, so yeah, we'll take leave of this. Um, But just as one last thing, just to Mm. ask you. um, But I mean, is not. Christianity ultimately, whatever would, whatever well, many ways of knowing there may be, but the claims of Christianity are ultimately empirical claims. That there was, that there is a God, a creator of the universe who sent His only Son to die for our sins, um, and that He listens and sometimes responds to our prayers. These are empirical claims, are they not? And they can be tested empirically.
1: Uh, well the existence of god certainly couldn't be in test, uh, tested empirically just just on any definition of of uh, any any uh, theistic definition of god because the theistic definition of god is such that he is um outside the parameters and boundaries of empirical observation um as for christ and, and the figure of jesus which which um is is what i detected in your question uh i mean certainly i uh, uh, that he was a historical figure I, I don't think there's um in fact i know for for a fact there's not much uh scholarly doubt about that fact you you get the odd scholar who, who disputes him and that's fair enough but um it's generally considered that this person existed um i'm i'm going to perhaps surprisingly concede that half of the point i mean there is no way for me to empirically prove that Jesus turned water into wine and rose from the dead. It is a matter of faith, but for me, at least, it it's a matter of faith built upon pre-existing foundations, which, to go back to my my own conversion story, were 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 not just faith based. I mean, I, I it's that that would be a little too fideistic for me um i value philosophical argumentation and i reached a position of christianity with you know bolstered by philosophy so the christ bit was sort of without wishing to sound flippant um easier like the last domino uh yeah
0: well i remain unconvinced (laughs) (laughs) that's,
1: that's fair enough um it, but in a way, that's encouraging because if I if I suddenly found that I was just convincing in in this regard, um, I'd have to become a professional apologist like William Lane Craig, and uh, I don't <laughs> much like William Lane Craig, so um, that's good to know.
0: <laughs> oh, I just as as you as you were speaking, I remember something that I did want to mention earlier, which is you spoke about the early Christian um, theologians. Uh, um, and say that they weren't, you know, literalists, mm. which is not quite true. Um, quite a lot of them were, or they offered that this could either be believed literally or metaphorically. Um, but to say that there's no tradition of, of literalism from the very beginning of Christianity is, I think, um, um, a contestable opinion, at the very least.
1: Yeah, um, I mean that's that's fair enough, but it depends what you mean by literally. Uh, uh, ad literam um, meant something different to ancients than it does to us. I mean, when when we see the word literally, we we think, we, we think what we think when we think literally, um, but to ancients it it meant something slightly different. It meant passing the text, um, extremely closely at, at, at a sort of etymological point of view. Um, so there's different.
0: Yeah, the, Church fathers who believed literally in the modern sense, his writings can't really be interpreted other than that they believed literally that the gospels were historical documents or that Genesis was a literal account of, of the creation. I mean, even even Paul, if you look, if you look at Paul, it's, it's um, you know there it's very difficult to conclude otherwise than that he believed um, these accounts um, and. Same with uh, Augustine, though there were some, you know, he said, um, uh, you know, b- the Bible should be believed unless um, empirical or whatever um, philosophical, natural evidence suggests otherwise, then it should be believed metaphorically, but otherwise it should be believed literally.
1: Mm. Well, that he means...
0: also was quite, um, quite quite literal in his interpretations,
1: well, that, it was... as he
0: made room for metaphorical interpretations.
1: Yeah, no. I, I was going to say uh, somewhat facetiously that uh, it, it was nice of Augustine to have made that room. Uh, certainly, Ken Ham and and his ilk wouldn't have. Uh, no, I mean, I I, I, I I don't dispute that. I don't dispute that. I mean, um, I mean, look. Let me put it this way: if I if I if, if Augustine were resurrected and and met me now, he'd probably think I was a pagan, um, because the the distance between us in terms of you know a conviction and ferocity of belief and i mean it, it just you know he'd certainly think justin welby was a pagan that that's for sure um, <laughs> but no no yeah i i don't i don't disagree with you um you know the, the the early church was was a really interesting period and there are lots of church fathers uh i mean origin of the the mm-hmm. the um pretty, pretty, who who is who could justly claim to have been responsible for all subsequent systematic theology? Um, was what well, he actually wasn't, but that's another story. Um, but he he was basically an anathemized by by a church council for being for being a heretic. Effectively, um, it was a really bizarre time. Um, but yeah, no, I take your point.
0: So for can you forgive me for breaking a promise here? Um. I did say that that would be my last question but I do want to ask one more.
1: No, you can okay. ask 10 more. I mean I I'm Oh okay
0: good. <laughs> no, no I'll just I'll just I'll just ask one more question or one more Okay. Make one more point and and then you can respond and then I promise we can we can move on. Um but going back to the question of 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 the empirical evidence uh or the empirical claims of Christianity. Um, doesn't Christianity rely upon the idea that A, that there was an original Adam and Eve, quite literally, and B, that this is the source of original sin? And if that is not true, if there were never an Adam and Eve, as all the evidence of evolutionary science tells us now, then Christianity is just, the foundation of Christianity is is completely undercut. Um, And there's this uh pastor former pastor uh called mike ouse i think and um he said uh let me see if i I think i might have the quote here actually i do have the quote here yeah um yeah he said if there's no original ancestor who transmitted hereditary sin to the whole species then there is no fall no need for redemption and jesus death as a sacrifice Efficacious for the salvation of humanity is pointless. The whole raison d'etre for the Christian plan of salvation disappears. So to put that um, at its briefest, um, if there was no Adam and Eve, as we know there wasn't, um, then what justification is there for Christianity?
1: You're a really good uh, asker of questions, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) much more prepared than than i am when i host um my christianity doesn't depend upon the belief in a historical existence of an adam and an eve and um oh god i wish i i I I wish i had it to hand um it may even have been augustine but it it was certainly someone you know high up in the church in, in the early church um who who more or less said the same thing you know i mean there's a fantastic history of the bible um which just came out uh if 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 anyone just googles like the history of the bible it will it will show up it was recently published i think it's penguin um you know there's there's no doubt that the whoever wrote um the genesis narratives did not intend for it to be taken um as what we would call literally it it was always meant to be um metaphor um my my own belief in original sin is simply that um uh something has uh, something is is dreadfully amiss with human nature uh we we seem to be we seem to be perversely distant from um the source of our own being and and the, the divine origin of 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 life in the universe um and from our own nature actually because um you know with being human um comes a a self-knowledge which is tormenting um, i mean that, that those are some of the more i suppose you could say theologically liberal ways in which i interpret the doctrine of original sin um I do I just I myself don't have much um much uh, i don't I don't talk i I seldom have the opportunity to talk with Christians who really do believe in historical Adam and Eve um so i I just find that I find that perspective difficult to inhabit i I, I don't think it um I don't think the lack of a historical Adam and Eve undermines the Christian faith.
0: okay <laughs> well in the interest of of uh saving time I, I you know that's i i'll let you have the last word on that subject
1: i know i know that was dissatisfactory but uh there we are so
0: um to move on w- w- one thing i wanted to ask you about uh well actually now now that well actually you know what, i'm gonna have one last comment. There's just something I wanted to nitpick with you. Go for it. About one of your recent articles, um, nothing buttery.
1: Oh yes, yes. The the, um, s- the school of nothing buttery.
0: I think you were rather unfair. Phrase
1: by the way of Ian McGilchrist's.
0: Oh, fellow fellow Scots, good. Well, I agree with it now. I've got no complaints now. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> no you, you you yeah. I think you were rather unfair there to to. Uh, to Dawkins, when you said something, uh, some, it was, um, you know, that the, the sort of selfish gene theory is, is you know, completely being rebutted and, and forgotten by modern or current science. Um, I would recommend on that subject this book that I wrote about last year by J. Arvid Ogram. Um i think i don't think i don't know if he's swedish or danish i can't remember but scandinavian um scientist uh who wrote a book about the selfish gene theory and uh whilst he had his criticisms of it he also explores why it's still very much a, a living uh central part of evolutionary science uh to this day so um i, I don't mean to I, you know I don't, I don't mean to go into this but i just wanted to. To say that and perhaps that makes me uh, a bit of a, a Dawkins fanboy just to just to get that out there um, but uh, no, I mean
1: um, <laughs> Daw- Dawkins is, is a wonderful writer and you know my, my main as you probably have gathered from the preceding hour uh, I am not cut out for um, apologetics for for systematic philosophy it's, it's just not my my mean um my my true love is literature and poetry and writing um and as a writer i mean dawkins is you know it's the same reason i, I still read i've been binging christopher hitchens recently his his books um because he's just such a gloriously entertaining writer and and uh, dawkins falls into the same category for me but if you uh, after this chat i mean if you ping me that book i'll i'll um if i get round to it i'll take a look
0: yeah well i mean yeah i mean that, i mean that's probably um for me at least one of the main appeals of of, of Dawkins um is the the writing. Um mm. I mean I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say that he's possibly probably one of the great prose stylists of the last fifty years. I think you can make that argument and uh and be um, convincing in making it.
1: Yeah, I mean I I'd <sighs> I'd quibble with that statement, but I would certainly say he. I said one of,
0: one of, not the, but one of. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Well, okay, one of. Fair, fair. fair. I'd, I'd certainly say he's the, uh, not just one of, but the uh, preeminent um, scientific popularizer.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we can, yeah, we can, we can quibble over the the legacy <laughs> like, of Dawkins, literary, literary, or otherwise. Um, at another point um i know time is getting short um but i did want to ask you to go back to the, pol- the the politics um there was an article you wrote i think probably quite a while back now called uh seven ways we we're fucked so why are we fucked <laughs> is, is my question <laughs> to you
1: yeah that was a while ago i don't have it in front of me i'm afraid so i, I couldn't go through the seven ways um but why why are we fucked? i mean um god where 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 does one begin um we're bankrupts um we still entertain uh, flat delusions about the kind of country we are domestically and on the world stage we, we our politicians still um wax lyrical about something called the special relationship which to any any moderate student of history knows that has never really existed It was pretty much an invention of churchills for propagandistic purposes. Um, we are crime ridden. We have an ineffectual police force. Um, our levels of immigration are just, just you know, almost banally unsustainable. Um, we're culturally bankrupt. Um, we're governed by simpletons of the lowest order. Um nothing works public transport doesn't work everything's too expensive we have high levels of inflation we have no long-term energy strategy i mean how long do you have i mean we're we're fucked in every conceivable orifice (laughs)
0: Uh, okay that that was going to be the title of the post (laughs) (laughs) um okay so i mean i agree with you on a lot of 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 the ways in which we are fucked um but some of this, to my mind, seems quite apocalyptic. um you know, I think though we have we certainly have a lot of problems with immigration and especially integration when it comes to uh, Muslim immigrants, um actually Britain has been one of the great success stories of immigration in modern history, you know, you know, you know, you know, Powell's um, whole idea that, you know, the, the, the streets will be um, flooded with blood and grandmothers will be scared to go out of their homes for fear of the black youths um, tearing up uh, civilization. You know, that just didn't happen. Um, yeah, we've got our problems, um, but it never happened the way, in quite the apocalyptic way that some people... And probably you <laughs> would claim it has
1: um well I uh, um my first video on my channel actually um was called in defense of enoch powell and I, I i think i meant i know i mentioned in that video that powell was wrong to have been quite so apocalyptic uh because he was apocalyptic in his language there's no doubt about that um, but i i would dispute i would dispute that um, what you've just said. I mean, he, he was half right, wasn't he? I mean that in 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 a city London, there are people who um, are afraid to go out because of the, the possibility of being, uh, you know, caught up in gang warfare or stabbed to death by black youths. So, I mean, you you remember the um, Mizzy phenomenon a couple of months ago?
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I just thought that was really um, indicative and and symbolic of 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 the larger of a larger phenomenon um the reason that man in the video whose home was effectively being invaded by this chap uh was 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 so obviously scared in the footage is because he didn't know whether this guy had a knife and i just think if you if I don't want to I don't want to say anything too controversial and get you cancelled or anything but it do not
0: make me I not mind being cancelled <laughs>
1: <laughs> if if mizzy if mizzy had been white right if if mizzy was just like a a bog standard you know um roll up smoking not there's anything wrong with roll ups i hasten to add uh, <coughs> white chav you know would he have been quite so um alarmed well obviously he would have been alarmed there's a stranger in his home but i think you I, I, I think anyone being honest with themselves would have to concede that the fact that Mizzy was black added to the the the, the fraughtness of the situation and i'm not i'm not racializing this uh, i hope um i mean i i, I it does
0: kind of sound like you are <laughs> well no no i I'm,
1: I'm it the the, the 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 racial component is entirely incidental see i mean i'm a big fan of of thomas soul um and uh thomas soul uh i can't remember in which it, it might have been what was it black black hillbillies and white rednecks or something like that he, he wrote this book um because the, the term redneck and uh, the term redneck actually comes from scotland um for some vague historical reason i can't remember but um he 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 has this uh he, he paints this picture it was basically in um i can't remember the the decades in question but chicago was was the place to be if you were black um or anyone actually chicago chicago was like the second new manhattan you know it was this booming city had a flourishing trades and and businesses and and uh and um journalism industry and for one reason or another uh, uh, a whole bunch of southern blacks um Emigrated sort of en masse um, within a very short period of time up into Chicago. And most of the mainstream newspapers in Chicago at that time were owned and 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 edited by by blacks, uh, you know, educated um blacks. And suddenly all of the newspapers were awash with these stories about uh you know the the plague of the southern blacks essentially moving into the northern black territory it was it was a it was a kind of like propagandistic uh black on black stuff uh so so when i when i talk about people like mizzy i mean it, it's it, it's cultural that the black stuff tracks it the racial the racial stuff tracks it uh it just so happens that there is a there is a certain subculture that exists in london among other subcultures Um, by by sub i don't mean lesser i just mean you know subcategory and these people happen to be black but i'm not one of these um, reactionaries who 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 finds it satisfactory to to talk about uh, immigrant groups or demographics or immigrants or whatever uh, in one block you know whenever anyone says oh the immigrants are doing this you have to ask the question okay what immigrants right Because uh, there was the Telegraph news story recently, um, Turkish-owned barbershops are, to to an astonishing degree, basically just fronts for drugs and human trafficking. Um, But that's the Turks, right? You can't lump them in with everyone else. You can't lump them in with Indians working on, you know, in whatever london's equivalent of silicon valley is you know there are all sorts of um distinctions and discriminations you need to make and the genuine racist as christopher hitchens made this point the genuine racist is precisely the person who fails to discriminate because they lump everyone in of a certain skin color with with certain characteristics uh, so it's got nothing to do with race and everything to do with with culture um
0: but but, but insofar in
1: is... as insofar as we're fucked, i mean <laughs> well you you go on and i'll i'll ca- i'll come in
0: no, I just, I just think that as, a, as you were speaking, it sounds like you kind of want to have your cake and eat it, in a way, because you're saying, okay, you should, or it's understandable if you're more alarmed if a black person invade your home than otherwise, but it's not racial, it's, it's, uh, it's cultural, um, you know, it's, yeah, okay, be scared of a black person, but not because they're black, but because they're black.
1: Okay, well, what I mean by that is suppose over or whatever the statistic is, um, I could pull it up, but suppose uh, the vast majority of knife crime in London were committed by whites and this had been going on for some 10, 20 years and a white person invaded your home and you were more alarmed for that reason. Is that racial or is that cultural? <laughs>
0: Well, I think that would also be racial, and it would also be wrong. I mean, I mean, in terms of invading your home, yeah, I mean, you should be scared of whoever invades your home. <laughs> but um, yeah,
1: no, certainly.
0: But um, but no, I mean, I I can't see myself um, saying, you know, being on the streets in a city uh, where the majority of crime, knife crime, or any other kind of crime is carried out by a certain demographic. I can't see myself walking down the street. And seeing people of that democrat of that demographic and being scared, or any more scared than I would otherwise be, walking down a dark and strange street at night. And I think there's something suspect about people who would feel that way. And by the way, I'm not saying this as some uh, yuppie. I'm saying this as somebody who has walked down quite a few strange and ominous streets in my time.
1: No, likewise. Um, you know, I, I guess I just. Um... I mean obviously i don't i don't want to be uh i don't want to be suspect in in the sense that you're implying i mean i'm i'm but you know um but there's no there's no uh, it just it just seems to me like i un uncontroversial that if if you if you know and you sense that 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 a certain kind of crime is being committed by a certain ethnic group the fact that you'd be more scared in certain situations you your know, dangerous situations in the company of that ethnic group i don't i don't see logically how that has to do with any inherent racial bias you know racism in other words i don't because to be racist and you know here i i, I assume i'm on common ground with you against progressive you know wokeist types i mean i was brought up to believe that racism essentially was the belief that being of a certain skin colour made you inferior to other people of a different skin colour. That that was the definition of racism with which I was brought up, and and uh, was quite rightly made to to believe that that was that was abhorrent. Um, all you're doing though is is making a a perfectly rational in, in the context uh, connection between appearance and behaviour. you you're not making any larger comment about the inherent moral um qualities um or moral standing of that ethnicity it's it's like um you know say you live in a small town and 60 percent of knife crime is committed by people wearing hoodies well if you're walking down a darkened alley and you see a person in a hoodie walking towards you and the next night you're walking down a darkened alley and you see uh, a man in a three-piece suit and tie walking towards you you know who are you going to be more apprehensive around uh, it doesn't mean that you have any innate prejudice against hoodies you might wear, wear one at home yourself you know um actually
0: even... i think in, in that particular situation i would be very much more creeped out by somebody who is in a three-piece suit walking <laughs> <our alley.
1: laughs> that's fair enough but yeah i suppose it would be slightly incongruent um, but I hope I'm making my point. I mean, I, for God's sake, I don't want to be—I don't, I don't want to come across in any way racist. I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm not. Um, but it just seems to me self-evident that if you know that a, a disproportionate amount of knife crime is committed by black youths in inner-city London, and a black youth invades your home, your thoughts are immediately going to turn to knives and the possibility thereof. I mean, that I don't—I don't see how that logically commits you to a position of racism. I just don't.
0: <clears throat> well, I mean uh, to be fair my original point wasn't quite that the point was that Britain has proved itself one of the most successful multicultural um, nations in the world um, and that Powell's uh, prophecy was much more absolutist and apocalyptic than has actually turned out and you can I mean... find yourself about of course there are different groups of immigrants um, and they have to be judged uh, on their own merits. Um, oh. But that's not exactly what Powell meant. And I think sometimes it's, it's when you see people on, on the right who, who complain about this, they too often sort of fall into that more absolutist mode of argument. Um, and I think that's a very dangerous thing. And all too easy to 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 be seduced by. I,
1: I, if I may, I'm I'm interested to hear um, hear you use the word multiculturalism in in a in a positive way. I mean, perhaps you didn't mean it that way, but um, Christopher Hitchens, as you probably know, wrote quite vociferously against the very concept of multiculturalism as he saw it in Britain. Um, and he wasn't living <laughs> in Britain at the time. He 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 was in favour of a, a more American style pluralism. Um, when you say it's been Britain has been a success story, I would say for whom has it been a success story? You know, has it been a success story for, um, for, um, you know, and I don't want to paint in too broad a brush. I'm not saying all, all Pakistani, young Pakistani men fit this, this bill, but it's certainly been a success story for young Pakistani men in, in the Midlands and the North and even in Oxford um in terms of their opportunity to to rape kufar girls um and go unchallenged for 20 years because the police feared that they would be accused of racism um it's certainly been a success story for or, or rather it's it's certainly been um, an unsuccessful story for for you know um uh cockneys you know where, where are the cockneys now right they've been they've been forced out through well, partly uh, not not entirely uh, but partly through mass immigration to to East London, uh, and I, I used to live in Bethnal Green, and I can tell you, I mean, walking down Whitechapel Road is like walking down a fairly civilized street in in Pakistan or Bangladesh, or you know, it, it is quite astonishing. So I would just say, you know, um, without without trying to sound too, uh, I hope with I hope without sounding too too belligerent, because I I don't mean to be, um, you know for whom has it been a success story? Um, I don't think there can be any doubt that one of the reasons people of our generation find it quite so difficult to get on the property ladder and obtain doctor's appointments and so on has been due to mass immigration. So I I suppose what I'm saying is we, we do need to make a distinction between a healthy immigration system, which I'm all in favor of. My mother's an immigrant. I have plenty of immigrant friends and acquaintances. Um, and and the the basically state imposed unasked for unvoted for policy of of mass immigration. I mean, when you've got when you've got um, per year at this rate, um, the population of Liverpool, I think it is, coming into your country, uh, mostly legally, by the way, um, let alone illegally, uh, every year. You you've really got to start asking hard questions about what the end game is here and how you're going to provide for all these people because ultimately you know these people i'm speaking of immigrants they're coming here out of economic self-interest i mean no one can blame them um but to to just quickly go back to one of the ways in which we're fucked I, i i saw this interesting anecdote on twitter a few months ago where uh this indian chap living in britain his grandfather who was living in india um messaged him and and said oh, i'm thinking about coming to to britain you know start a business maybe or retire there or whatever and his grandson said don't bother everything's fucked you're better off in india mm-hmm. um so i mean i yeah i i, I mean have... that's I, that's that's quite an old
0: story actually i mean um uh you know you different waves of immigrants tend to hate the next wave mm. you know asian immigrants uh turned their noses up at the Caribbean and black immigrants. Um, so that's not exactly a new thing. That seems to be a, a pretty common thing, um, which doesn't necessarily tell as much about the actual state of affairs. Um, but to, on your point about multiculturalism, yeah, I, I use multiculturalism in a, in a in a slightly different sense. I, I mean it as, well, essentially, I kind of mean it as pluralism. Uh, You know, it's the coexistence of of people of different cultural backgrounds, side by side. Uh, uh, But what I don't mean by that is that every culture has to be um, appeased, uh, whatever their values. You know, I don't think that means that we should have Sharia courts uh, or segregation uh, in mosques or any of the rest of it I think it just means living side by side um, as, as nice and you know it sounds a bit like a Lennon line it's nice as nice as that you know it sounds like that but but I think that's actually quite a radical idea and I think Britain has been one of the successful countries that have done that um, you know yes we have all these difficulties we have the grooming gangs and I'm with you that you know, that was, is a scandal um, that should never have happened and that much of the fear um, of addressing it was rooted in the fear of being labelled a racist. Um, yes, um, a lot of white boys, for example, face um, greater difficulties now than they did before. Um Although I wouldn't necessarily put that down to mass immigration. I think there are a lot of other factors at work there. But I don't, I don't think, think any of this means that um that you know we must regard immigration, even mass immigration as a bad thing. I'm not I'm not an open borders person. Um but I think the danger with the kind of with the rhetoric um that you're using is that you're essentializing and god i can't believe i'm using all these uh these words but essentializing and othering um you know huge groups of people when in fact um everyone you know apart from these significant and stories like the grooming gangs that we have to address and that should never have happened. These aren't things we can just sweep away as 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 you know you know just a blip. You know we have to address that. But I think up and down the country, most people, uh, white people, uh, don't really mind having brown and black neighbors from various countries. And I think that those brown and black neighbors are also pretty happy to abide by the law and and. Um, coexist with their neighbors, their white neighbors, and you know whatever religion and culture they come from. I think they have, you know, I think this experiment has, on the whole, despite some significant uh, depths, uh, been quite successful. Which isn't to say that we should open the borders and that there's no problems with immigration, but when you speak in the way that you do, I think it's just too close to to i'm not going to say racism because you've made good points about racism but I, I think it's just too close to that sort of thing for my taste
1: no that that's fair enough i mean i, I hope i have been clear hitherto um, in in disavowing racial essentialism I, I don't buy into that in the slightest um it, it's it's cultural um but i mean i would ask you i mean is is there such a thing as uh, just to isolate it in england for instance uh for the sake of argument i mean we could ask the same question of scotland and wales and and so on but um and the british generally but you know is there such a thing as the english people because i i've i've had this conversation with with um you know various people from various perspectives and um i have had it said to me that there is no such thing as English identity, English culture, um, and I sort of bulk at that because I think when you're when you're dealing because I, I don't I don't think in, so. You're quite right that most British people, and I, I do agree with you here, most British people are perfectly happy to to coexist alongside people with different skin colours. But then again, it was—it's it, never really a part of my argument that the skin color is different. That I don't think that matters. I, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to most of the people I know. Um, nevertheless, that I posit that there is such a thing as English identity, and when you're dealing with the sheer scale and speed of mass immigration that this country has experienced. Um, I don't think enough people quite comprehend the radicalness of that. I mean you you must be aware that uh, it, a common sort of tactic on on the left is to say, well, you know, what about the Huguenots and, and all this kind of thing. Um, but the Huguenots were they numbered about 50,000 over the course of what 20 30 years, if not longer. Um, and we're, we're getting like, you know give or take um, uh, net. About a million people a year now, under a conservative government, no less. And I, I just think at that point, all all questions of identity actually can be suspended. Um, you're dealing with a with a question of of pure practicality. You know, what are you going to do with that amount of demand and diminishing supply, diminishing housing supply, healthcare supply, and all the rest of it? I mean that that's that's the um, that's the question that really concerns me. Um you know, just
0: uh, I, I think i sorry go on no I, th- I think I think that's a fair fair point um though I'm just not convinced that it's as huge a problem as as often made out mm. as, as apocalyptic as is often made out, and it can be a very convenient distraction from some much deeper problems um but i well, want to ask um, you more oh
1: sorry go on oh no i was just going to say i i don't like um i don't like people whose ostensible raison d'être is hammering on about immigration um but i would say that you can't begin to address some of the deeper issues to which i believe you're averring unless you 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 know nip that in in the bud Uh, But the problem is the Overton window has moved too far. um, Whether I I don't want to say to the left, because I I think the left right spectrum is, is largely defunct at this point, but the Overton window has has moved too far in whatever direction to begin to address it. I mean, if a mainstream politician were to stand up now and say, um, Hey, I think we should repatriate all illegal immigrants and reduce immigration to the tens of thousands per year. Which is what um, you know, Enoch Powell is going on about back in the seventies and eighties. Um he that person might well get um a plurality of support from from the British people, and I, I believe they would actually, given the polls, but they would never make it in um in mainstream politics. They they wouldn't they wouldn't be in any of the main parties. They'd be yeeted as soon as they said it. And mm-hmm. the the tragedy of that is that that should be a fairly uncontroversial opinion. It shouldn't have to be associated with unsavoury elements of the far right or racism or, 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 or all of which I completely disavow. It shouldn't have to be associated with that. But unfortunately, in the minds of many people, it is. And and that's the, that's the stalemate that we're in, I think.
0: Well, I mean, I, I do uh, somewhat disagree there. I wouldn't necessarily say that. That should be an uncontroversial position uh and to to add to what i said earlier i uh, you know when i when i say britain's been a success story in terms of immigration i don't just mean that um that you know it's happened and it's here and as a fact i think most people in britain embrace that as a fact and enjoy it and everyone's quite happy with it to a certain extent. And, you know, that's quite a rare thing in history. It's, you know, these, a lot of disparate groups coming together and living, jostling side by side and for the most part, doing so peacefully and coming under the same uh, regime of law and culture. Even as they also have their differences. I think that's why Britain has had success. And in particular, London has had great success. Uh that's why I say that. Um but let, let me ask a, a more fundamental question. Then uh I don't I don't know if you've seen the there's a clip that has gone around quite a lot of times and which just popped up recently for me. Of uh, Mary Hassan speaking to the economist whose name I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> um, God, what was his name? Okay, I can't remember the name, but the point was, I mean, Mary Hassan asks this guy. I, mean, I had my disagreements, quite a lot of them, with Mary Hassan. Um, asks this guy like what what is the definition of an indigenous britain and that's a question a a much more fundamental question beyond current concerns about immigration that i would that i would like to ask you
1: um oh blimey um I, i couldn't give you a dictionary definition um and in, in indigenous Britain, well, obviously, I mean, the, the standard left-wing approach is to say there is no such thing at all because um, the peoples of Britain have always been um, from disparate lands. And I think there's com- obviously complete truth to that. I mean, my 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 own surname is, um, is Norse, um, which means I suppose that my Viking ancestors, you know, uh, had their way with with a few saxon women um but i suppose I, I, the definition i would give is um you know someone who who uh someone whose ancestry and ethnicity um and and culture uh can be can be traced back you know a good a good thousand years some someone who someone whose uh, genealogy is very much belongs to this land um but I, I do somewhat resent, I, I'm not saying this of you, by the way, uh, but I just in general. I do somewhat resent the, the the extent to which this question is posed to to Britons and not say um you know uh uh native um you know New Zeal uh what are they, Polynesians or or um any basically any other uh, ethnic group in the world um who who claim a particular uh geography uh, as their own uh, it always seems to be asked of Britons but no I mean I I don't think you need to be too um, absolutist about it I mean there's no doubt that Britons hail from different stock our language is a miscegenate language um and it reflects the the various uh gene pools and immigrations that have that have gone into it um but I don't think that means that there's no such thing as an indigenous Brit um. At all um yeah, but of
0: course it depends how you define indigenous,
1: yeah, and as yeah. you say you
0: point out the the Polynesians and the or the maori and 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 Native Americans and you know certainly I think um a lot of those um identities are based in absurd myths um you know the Native Americans have been here for all time, all that sort of thing. But all that says is that any idea of an indigenous anything is is contingent upon certain historical and social ideas and in the case of britain um, and this that was his name paul collier was the name of this economist that mary hassan spoke to um Paul Collier wrote in a book, and, and this guy's a, a you know a professor of economics, a very respected scholar, wrote that, you know, the 2011 census had shown that Britons were now a minority in their capital city. And Hassan does a very good job of trying to tease out what exactly Collier means by indigenous. And Collier gives quite a lot of definitions. Um... Ultimately, rendering the whole idea that Britons have become a minority in London um, completely incoherent. Because if you define indigenous Britons as people who are born here, then you cannot possibly claim that London is now, a, you know, a minority British city. And Collier tries to move the goalposts and say, "Well, I meant second-generation born here."
1: yeah that that there's um there's an interesting um linguistic sort of uh sleight of hand going on there because you know britain is obviously do london is the capital of england right um englishness is without doubt an ethnic identity um regardless of your political point of view um britishness isn't because that's no, the way you
0: could make the same points in both cases
1: possibly i mean there's different levels of concreteness i mean you've got englishness then you've got um you know britishness and then there's you know uk which is sort of bureaucratic jargon um to describe anyone who happens to be living here at the time you know you're you're from the united kingdom right and it's like well you might not be you might you might have arrived from libya six months ago um but you're 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 going to be classed as coming from the uk um because that's what your passport might say um I
0: mean, there's this uh, there's a really interesting interview quite a few years ago um on lbc i think with david Larry Labour MP and this caller came in and said I really wish you would stop calling yourself English because you're not English you can't possibly be English you know you might have been born here uh, you might have lived your entire life here but you know, you're not really English are you because and we know we know what that because means and yeah, there's, there's too much of a, a risk of saying, well, Englishness is an exclusive identity. And our Scottishness or Britishness, or whatever you want to, whatever example you want to give. Um, but for the life of me, I can't see why somebody who has come to a country six months ago, uh, lived here and, and started to embrace the culture why they shouldn't be considered english or scottish or whatever it might be
1: see i, I find that very interesting that this is where we definitely i think when knock heads um i mean for instance uh, you might not know this and that, that's fair enough if you don't because i it, it doesn't come i can't remember but where where is david where what's david lammy's ancestry like what what country in africa is are, are his ancestors from
0: um i couldn't tell you for sure though i think it's uh, Jamaican ancestry, not African. Okay, but I couldn't, I couldn't say for sure off the top of my head.
1: So, would you say, just for the sake of argument, that if I, if I moved to wherever his ancestors were from, uh, now, say, yeah, you know, she's just Ghana, Jamaica, wherever, okay, um, and had kids, they would be just as much Jamaican or Ghanaian as. Black, um Ghanaians and Jamaicans.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, that's. um Yeah, I just uh, maybe I haven't thought about this enough. I mean,
0: I just. I mean, I know. I know the point you're trying to make. That yeah, say, yeah, no, no, that can't, no. I, um, I, uh... I'm, I'm consistent on that. I don't, I don't.
1: No, no, consistency is good. I mean, I, I'm I just... a
0: universalist on that. In the end, so I don't really get racial or cultural or ethnic exclusiveness, and I don't really care. Oh for well, sure, surely, surely you,
1: surely you get cultural exclusiveness. I mean, I mean, it's one, th- it's one thing to think ethnicity a factor in in analysing, you know, human beings, but um, you, you, surely you've got to be committed to to the cultural.
0: Um well it depends how you hom- define
1: homogeneity to to some extent. I mean, because otherwise all you've got really is a landmass, uh, not a country. You've you could just got like a la- an economic zone of people who, you know, are completely different from one another, but they they just happen to live in the same place. I mean, I'm coming from a place of, of um of 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 you know, my, my my perspective here is that there are distinct uh cultures and and peop you know, people intermingle, people people sleep with each other, people travel, pe- you know, the, the world is much more exciting than the essentialists and the racists and the the, the exclusivists make it. Um it's all sorts of cross pollination, and that's one that's what human beings do. But I I just uh, I I dispute the non I dispute the non-existence of distinct peoples, you know. Um and well, the, I mean, I, but if I were to move I never said through, that. No, of course, of course. But if I were to move to a foreign country, particularly if, if that foreign country were of, of a, a different ethnicity to me, um, I, I'm not necessarily sure I would expect to be considered one of them for quite some time.
0: Well, exactly. I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that. <laughs> but it's just it's that you can be considered one of them in due course.
1: Mm. Um,
0: and perhaps that will take a while and perhaps it won't but I don't see why there should be any barriers
1: there. For the record, my chief objection to David Lammy is his total incompetence. I mean, I'm sure if I met David Lammy in a pub, I'd really get on with him. He seems like a nice guy. But um, anyone who thinks that the successor to Henry the uh, Seventh was is Henry the Fourth or whatever he said on that mm-hmm. quiz show, uh, it is, is just a moron. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: not that I'm a defender of David Lammy, but I yeah. do you feel that uh, that you know, with the the lights shining on you in the middle of a TV studio, uh, you can get a bit befuddled. So perhaps. Yeah.
1: No, it's this, it's it's the same with Diana Abbott though. I mean, I, I've um, every time I criticise Diana Abbott, there's always someone who jumps in. Oh, you're racist! Like, no, I'm not. I'm not racist. Okay, you are because <laughs> you brought it up. I I'm criticising her because she's just manifestly ridiculous.
0: Um... Yes, no, I, I agree. I'm not a fan yeah, of Abbott yeah. either. Um, and I should say that uh, at no point of this conversation do I mean to suggest that you are a racist or anything of the sort no
1: uh, there's not the impression i got but um i i um, it's like it's like saying uh, oh i've got black friends you know if you have to say it well i maybe you've already been you found out no i i'm I'm glad that you don't think that um yeah i i like i said i mean i i've i started my political journey as a sort of um, unconscious liberal and I find myself saying things sometimes, and and people looking at me a certain way, and I think I don't want to be looked at in that way because I don't think what I'm saying is particularly controversial or should be. <laughs> um, so no, I'm not still, um, you know, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm a fairly, I'm a fairly tolerant liberal person to begin with.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I could, I could say the same. I mean, it's, I mean, I would say that from a liberal perspective, yeah. <laughs>
1: No, sorry. I was going to say one one of my best friends is a Moroccan Muslim. All I mean, right.
0: You know. So you're an Islamophobe then? Okay. Yeah, no, completely, <laughs> completely obviously. No, but I mean, I, I could say, and I would say it um, from a liberal perspective, I would say, you know, uh, shopping women into a burqa is wrong. And. You know, Sharia law or Sharia is uh, a pretty regressive, uh, nay medieval, um, way to uh, conduct oneself, and uh, very abusive and tyrannical, and it has no place in any modern society. Um, And I think those all of that is not prejudiced or racist or anything of the sort. I think those are good liberal. Uh, ideas in the truest sense of the word, um, and yet saying such things uh, can often land one in some pretty hot water.
1: Oh yeah, especially if you compare the burqa to post boxes, um, as <laughs> yes did. Um, but no, I mean you 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 can kind of see my predicament. I, I hope. I mean, you know, what you've just said would get you accused of being a racist among among you know lots of people. Yeah.
0: Actually. Absolutely.
1: And I I find myself in the same position. You know, I I say some things which seem to me, you know, if not self-evident, then then reasonable. Um, And the accusations start flooding in. I just think I I get kind of paranoid sometimes. I think, am I am I, uh, you know, that old uh, Mitchell and Webb sketch? Am I the bad guy? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not the bad guy. I'm a a good guy. I'm just, um, you know, just raising raising questions.
0: Though I do think, um, and I don't think we can get into this now, but I do think um, Scruton—I used to, I used to, well, I still do like Scruton quite a lot. Um, But I do think that some of his ideas have been deleterious. You know, some of it. uh, You know, even though Hitchens apologized for calling him a kind of blood and soil conservative, I think his legacy has been somewhat blood and soil. Um, It's been a great influence for, for, um, for Orban, um, you know, who Scruton essentially bent the knee to. um,
1: Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased you've alluded to that, Daniel, because um, I was trawling the internet a while back for um, any kind of correspondence um between Hitch and, and Scruton. And that was the only reference I could find. I, I couldn't find anything um that Scruton had said about Hitch, but I do remember finding um that quotation from from Hitch that that Scruton was a blood and sort of conservative. And I, I think I read somewhere that after he wrote that, he um he apologized to Scruton in private. Um, I don't know if that's true.
0: Yes, well, I should say that, um, I mean, I couldn't give you the reference right now off the top of my head, um, but I did know that before, but I was reminded of it when I read um, your one of your articles where you mentioned that. So mm. I'm pretty sure it's true, um, because as I said, I knew it before reading your reference to it, so I'm sure there's a basis to that.
1: Yeah, I'd read it somewhere.
0: I should have footnoted it. Um, though, I mean, did you ever see that debate that um, it was Hitchens, Dawkins and Grayling against Scruton and a couple of others who, who aren't really important? Some rabbi, Julian Newberger, I think, and some other religious person. Um, it's quite a fun debate to watch. Um, and I think I could say without... Being too partisan. I think that was probably not Scruton's finest hour. I think he was kind of outdone in that debate. But well, he,
1: was. yeah, yeah no, he
0: was the watch. If you haven't seen that, which you probably have,
1: I have. Yeah, no, what it, well, it well, You're quite right. He, um, I mean, Scruton's. Um, I, I've, I know two people who who knew Scruton, and they both said that he was a bit of an odd fish. Maybe a little bit on the spectrum even. Um. Mm-hmm. You know yes, you, so to get get, yeah. yeah to to get him at his best, you needed to be there in the room with him uh he wasn't good at uh the public stuff like um hitch was
0: I do like your um article about uh bohemian conservatives oh, the yeah. distinction you make about uh, between Scruton and and Peter hitchens uh Peter being a more Protestant Puritan sort of conservative and uh Scruton being more of a European Bohemian conservative.
1: Uh, and Catholic indeed. I mean, uh, Scruton, um, not not too many people know this, but Scruton is actually, or was actually technically speaking, a Roman Catholic. He converted for his, I think, first wife. Um, yeah, no, I, th- that is quite true. I mean, Scruton, Scruton is, um, well, I mean, <laughs> How much time do you have are you going to go into peter hitchens um for a while but uh i know where my true loyalties lie there
0: yes well uh that was actually one of the questions i wanted to, to pose to you uh i mean and just to make a comment on the scrutin peter hitchens um distinction um I know that Peter Hitchens is very much not a fan of alcohol and Roger Scruton wrote a good book, very good book, on uh, on the pleasures of wine and philosophy. I drink, therefore I am. So uh, if, if, if there was any kind of conservatism for me, I think it would very much be the Scrutonian kind. Um, but uh, but I think it's a good distinction, actually. I mean, I think ultimately all political distinctions Modern political distinctions come down to Burke versus Pain, and that conflict is echoed in C hitch versus P hitch or fetch, as I say, to distinguish them. Um,
1: perilously the- close to bitch,
0: <laughs> but uh, that's yeah, that's by the bye. But you wrote a, a very interesting article. Uh, on Peter Hitchens recently which caused something of a stir on Twitter Uh, so please give us your reflections on that It was it was very fun to watch I must say
1: yeah um so uh I wrote um uh actually I, I think I recorded it first and then then subsequently posted it on on Substack uh Peter Denethor Hitchens um for those who don't know, Denethor was the uh, the steward of Gondor uh, during the Battle of Pelennor Fields when the forces of Mordor were, you know, attacking, and um, he just he he kind of went mad and said, "Abandon your posts, flee, flee for your lives," and and then killed himself. And um, it wasn't me who originated the Denethor comparison. I, I believe it was Connor Tomlinson at the, at the Lotus Eaters. someone else but i I first saw it from Connor tomlinson Um, basically peter hitchens has for the last um several years at least been advising young people when young people ask him for advice uh, to flee the country because everything is so fucked um that that there's there's no hope for you here you should just flee and one of the points i make in that piece is that um people follow up with the question well where should i go and peter has no answer to that question he 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 absolves himself of responsibility and i thought that just wasn't good enough you know if you're if you're going if if you're going to advise people to flee your own country uh something which by the way peter never did himself which i think is suggestive um you ought to have some inkling of where they should go because again, one of the points I make in the piece and the point other people have made before me is many of the problems uh, Peter outlines um exist in other countries as well um you know he's not he's not implying that people should flee Britain for Somalia, for instance. Um, the implication is that they should flee it for some other advanced Western or English-speaking country, you know Australia, America, or if not english-speaking than than holland or france or whatever but you know again you've you've got all these um problems of globalism exist in all all these countries um so I, i i just got tired of hearing this advice um to the point where i felt motivated to 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 criticize it and i posted it on twitter um and within minutes i found myself under attack from from peter hitchens um who who probably was under um he he couldn't have known that I'd actually met him before because obviously I'm pseudonymous on the internet but uh I just found myself fun I, I got oh, like 10 notifications in 10 minutes um with peter just picking apart the, this piece um I think his main criticism was that I had accused him of being cowardly and I can see why you would get that impression I could have put it more accurately to be fair um but that wasn't what I was saying. I was saying that his advice was cowardly, not not him. So anyway, I, I hashed it out on on Twitter with Peter Hitchens, um, and, and I was kind of amused by it, um, as well as depressed actually, because you know, I, Peter Hitchens is one of the few journalists I will regularly read, uh, because I, I do think that what he has to say is worth hearing. Um, he was one of the few, if if not for a while, the only journalist. Um, against lockdowns which i I think of you know it's fair to say that they've been found to be wanting that lockdown tactic um but it it was depressing because i i i kind of admired him and it was you know being attacked by someone you admire is never a pleasant experience but i think i held my own i don't know uh but yeah no it was an altogether interesting um interesting experience
0: as i said it was it was quite fun to watch um well the the other thing actually
1: Sorry, I was I was gonna. No, lie. no, go on, go on. Is is that he 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 doesn't follow anyone on Twitter, so mm-hmm. um he what 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 this basically means is that he Goog, he 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 googles in Twitter his own name. Basically, that's the only way he could find out. So it's kind of it's it's kind of sad in a way. But there we are.
0: Yeah, I think he's admitted to that before. Oh, has he? I, he? I think he regularly does that and picks fights with people on Twitter. <laughs>
1: There we are. Well, it did me. Just why I've I've chosen I've never to,
0: to 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 use his name in a tweet. It's not that I don't mind the argument, but I'm just I just can't be bothered with, <laughs> with going round forever and ever with Peter Hitchens on a merry go round.
1: Well, it will get you
0: more views.
1: That's the, the and reads <laughs> <laughs> that, that's just the one boon from from it.
0: Well, I did. I sent um. Uh, your piece on Peter Hitchens, and I, I always feel strange because whenever Christopher and Peter come up in conversation, one only can only differentiate them by their first names, which is slightly strange. Um, so I sent Peter's piece, um, no, your piece, sorry, on Peter uh, to my friend who I mentioned earlier, who uh, is is an evolutionary biologist and and now very much a conservative, having once been a communist and nationalist and uh, uh also the person who introduced me to, to Dawkins and Atheism and he's still an atheist but he's very much a conservative sort of Christian uh atheist. Um and he has um he sent me back a, a big long message disagreeing with you about Peter Hitchens, which uh we shan't get into here. As I said, I'm I'm an outsider in this debate. I don't have a dog in the fight, um, but I'll send that to you. Afterwards, you might be interested to read it.
1: Yeah, no, no, please do. Um, um, if he if he's a burking conservative, then I'd be interested to know his perspective.
0: Yes, no, he's a he's a good guy. I've looked up to him a lot. Um, he's, I mean, I've known him since since high school. Um, probably the smartest person I know. Um, probably shouldn't be so moist publicly but uh, but here I am
1: oh, don't worry i'm i'm frequently moist as you say <laughs> a horrible word
0: yes. so um well i did kind of want to go into your um article that you just posted today about Douglas Murray um,
1: oh yeah i was one i was wondering if you'd see that in time actually i i have to confess um i i uh a Sunday is generally the better day on the weekend to post Substack things. But um, I posted that because I thought, uh, there's the odd chance he might see it before the conversation. So do go on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I, yeah, I always look at the notifications. I'm a slave to my phone in that way. Uh, but yeah, no, it was a good piece. Um, I think you made a lot of good points. Uh, I'm not really sure where I stand on. On Murray these days, uh, I think actually I probably from a different perspective. I think he started out quite well, but perhaps now is slightly tiresome.
1: I mean, I I thought that was that was the gist of my piece, wasn't it? Yes,
0: oh. yeah, that's yeah, yeah. But I think I would I would make the argument in a slightly different way.
1: Okay, I'm. Um, will go on.
0: Well, I think he. I think he was at his best when he was a hitch <laughs> Um, but now he's just, uh, for my taste, he's, he's too far to the right and too willing to excuse um, quite a lot of rightist um, transgressions in the name of combating the woke, uh, which is not a malady, unique. To him, I think it's infected quite a lot of the right. Uh, but yeah, I think he's just gone a bit too far in that direction for my taste.
1: That's that's interesting. I would say he hasn't gone far enough. That's not to say.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's not to say that I think he should start, um, you know, quoting um, Curtis Yarvin or anything like that. Um, <laughs> it's just that. Um, I, I think he's become establishment. That That's my problem with him. Um, and, I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, now that you brought it up, um, my main criticism of him is actually aesthetic. Um, I think that, uh, you know, he, here was this young, up-and-coming, brilliant, connected well-spoken journalist and he's sort of cashed in on the image other people have formed of him um so his audio book as i as i mentioned in there of um uh, the madness of crowds i mean i i genuinely did think that my audible settings had been had been slowed down i don't <laughs> think i've ever heard anyone speak so slowly from their own material no less i mean it it's 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 um it's boring frankly um and he's got so much more to offer uh but th- you know I, i've got i've got a, re- a really good friend of mine um he's uh he's a really interesting bag of contradictions right so he he's an orthodox christian with with a large o eastern orthodox christian he's gay openly gay uh he lives in york well, I would hope so. Otherwise you've just outed him. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, that, that's, uh, yeah, I, I, that I, I haven't outed him, I promise. Um, and um, he, he grew up in an evangelical household. You know, he was raised a Christian, but um, you know, he's just, he's, he speaks fluent Arabic. Uh, he's, he's a really interesting person. And um, I remember when I was at the height of my sort of, you know i was i was fully immersed in the culture wars was really invested in them i i they, they kept me up at night you know um and he turned to me and said uh, he's from california he said um you know the culture wars are trashy and you know they're, they're just they're, they're trashy you know just 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 leave leave them alone you know anger is a, a serious state of the soul you know and he's going on on into all of this. But um, one of the things he said about Murray and to, to an extent, Scruton actually is that these people aren't actually reactionary. They're not actually conservative. Uh, with Douglas Murray in particular, what they are is that they're 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 conservative liberals as opposed to liberal conservatives. And they're conservative liberals who who wish that Britain had frozen in time, in amber in around the year 1950 you know um or or 1890 or you know p- pick your date um post victorian you know um they don't actually follow through their the, the logic of their own positions and so that the consequently that they're, they're quite content to appear on establishment mm-hmm. legacy media with the likes of Piers Morgan and and say the expected things, and and that that's what that's what annoys me about Douglas Murray chiefly is that you know he'll some new clip will appear of him on YouTube, and 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 you don't need to click it because you know exactly what he's going to say in advance, you know, trans this BLM that, and it, it it's it's also hackneyed, and it makes you long for someone like Christopher Hitchens because. Christopher Hitchens um even though I disagree with him about a lot he he was um despite the fact he could be predictable uh, he 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 could he could he could perform the 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 vault face you know he he could come out in support of the Iraq war when no one expected him to um he he could he could uh attack feminism back in the day you know with with great panache and yet Still, somehow, be on the side of feminists. He's still not quite cancelable, you know, by by the feminists. He was an interesting uh, person in that regard, and and I just with with Murray, I I just he's he's so predictable.
0: Yeah, no, I can. <clears throat> I mean, for example, I think it's hard to imagine the last time anyone appeared on on any kind of TV show, panel show, um, opinion show. Did what Hitchens did, um, <laughs> you, know, you know, when Jerry Falwell died,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: You know, that's just it's almost unimaginable now. You can't, you can't imagine somebody doing that and just being so brutal and opinionated, um, and transgressive in the true sense of the term, um. And yeah, i think murray is probably just yeah he's just conti- sticks with
1: the same shtick as it was so, so, one one question i have for you daniel if if i may is um one of the points i ha- i had in the um the, the piece on on douglas murray was that his his plummy accent works in his favor um I think there was an element of that to Christopher Hitchens as well. I mean, you remember his appearance on Question Time. I I believe his brother, Peter, was on the panel as well. They were discussing the the Salman Rushdie affair. Uh, Boris Johnson was on it as well. Yes, uh, yes, he was, yeah. Yeah. And I get the impression that one of the reasons, I I don't want to reduce it to this, but one of the reasons Christopher was able to get away with saying some of the things he he did say is because he was plummy but simply put do you think there's a class element to this as well because i i think there is um uh, i say in my piece on, on you know the, the strange death of douglas murray you know if you if you actually listen to what douglas murray is saying in any given clip recently that is uh, he's not actually saying anything much that anyone else could say but because he said it in this you know incredibly educated way um suddenly you're supposed to take it as profound and he he i i think if i frankly speaking i think he's succumbed to the vanity of that Uh, but do you think there's a class element there because if you'd asked me five ten years ago do you think class is a big feature in in how we should analyze british society i would have said no but now uh, I would say it absolutely is a big feature i I think it's the the um the prevailing uh it's the prevailing factor actually
0: mm. no I mean uh, well, yeah I agree with you on that I mean I don't think class ever went away um I don't think it will ever go away um in any society um even American society where the whole idea is, is you know anyone can be president or you know a millionaire businessman or whatever and I think Hitchens wrote quite a lot about class in America and said that um I don't think he said it but he quoted somebody who did say that um you know the, the great thing about America is that they've uh, convinced you that class doesn't exist in America even though it very much does uh that they're great class Uh, distinctions in America. You know, redneck, for example, is a class distinction. Wasp is a class distinction. Um, And, you know, the details of those arguments are ones that Hitchens made. But, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, class is absolutely um, an enduring element, I think, of any society. Um, And I think it's interesting when Brits go to America, Especially sort of well-spoken Brits like Murray um, or Hitchens, um, and again, this is something that Hitchens wrote about um, that the accent does give them a bit of a a bit of a boost. Um, and you know, going back to Evelyn Waugh and The Loved One, you know, uh, you know, this has been quite a, a, a an enduring feature of the Anglo experience in America. Um, I don't, But I don't necessarily think that means that somebody is fake or putting it on. Uh, you know, Hitchens himself was quite conscious of it and expressed it. Um, and I think plummy is probably the wrong word because plummy, to me, feels like it's something that's put on. You know, it's, it's it's not your genuine accent. It's like it's like Margaret Thatcher putting on your trying to sort of elevate yourself by um, elocution and and trying to make yourself sound of a higher social class than you are. Uh, so it's 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 an artifice. Plummy to me, a plummy accent is a fake accent to me. Um, and I don't know I don't know if you'd apply that to Murray, but I don't think you would apply that to Hitchens especially given that his brother, Peter, is also very similar sounding. I think uh, that's just their natural accent.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: Sorry, I that, was, that was a bit of a tumble, but
1: <laughs> No, no, don't don't apologise. Um, I've, I've been doing nothing but rambling. Um, I think there was an extent to which Christopher Hitchens played it up for his American audience, uh, but that's not to say it was fake. Um I mean, I, I myself, um, uh, I mean, I, I have two sisters and neither of them, um, speak the way I do. And that's because it's purely in virtue of the fact that me being the older sibling, um, I spent more time with my grandmother who went to a grammar school and she literally gave me elocution lessons, um, when I went to visit her. Um, and that, that's, that's the only reason why, um,
0: yeah, yeah i think i mean i think the difference is that people like thatcher deliberately did it to appeal to a class above them you know they thought this is the way to speak so they're am going to speak it and in doing so they just kind of sounded a bit false
1: mm. yeah it's it's more i suppose i suppose it's more content isn't it um you listen to Christopher Hitchin, or at least I do and and I I hear content. I listen to recent Murray and I hear nothing but air, uh, hot air um, which anyone else could have uttered. And, you know it's the same it's the same talking points. you like I said before, you know exactly what he's going to say. Uh, this this thing is bad. Um, Western civilization is great, isn't it? Uh, thanks for having me on. You know, I, <laughs> I, it's just it's boring. Um, but there we are. I hope
0: Piers Morgan is watching and and faces on.
1: Uh... I don't understand Piers Morgan.
0: <laughs> I, I, just, I nobody I, understands. Piers I, I don't understand because I I don't
1: and unless you are really just a skin suit a, a skin suit for a human being, um, which is quite possible in Morgan's case because he does resemble a pig. Um, <laughs> you you must have you must have convictions i mean you surely you must you, mu- you must have opinions and yet he's willing to you know throughout the entire lockdown period come out in favor of lockdown and then miraculously post-lockdown when the, the costs start to come in um just sort of nod your head and say yeah well i i um i was wrong about that and sort of you get away with it um I, I don't understand him. Um, I've got much more respect for people like Peter Whittle, but Peter Whittle is is operating outside of that legacy uh, media. So there we are. Yeah.
0: No, I did. Um, actually, I, I, I met Peter Whittle once. Oh, did you? And I was. Um, I I, I been,
1: think I think he's rather handsome.
0: He is quite handsome. Yeah. I didn't know he was gay actually until I looked him up afterwards, but. <laughs> um anyway yeah sorry oh god got distracted there uh <laughs> um yeah no yeah no, i met him a, what, a couple of years ago maybe um at the battle of ideas festival in london um and he was like on a panel and i was um helping out volunteering so i had to like sort his microphone um but yeah good guy Sorry, you've just completely distracted me with that handsome guy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a uh, 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 yeah I, I every time he appears on my feed, i I think, oh yeah uh, I don't usually go in for all the men, but um yeah, handsome handsome guy <laughs>
0: um, but the lead in what I was trying to lead into there was uh that i've i did I've met Peter Hitchens before as well a long time ago. Even before I started uni, Um, so it must have been like 2015, maybe 2014. Um, But uh, he was um, doing a debate at Edinburgh Uni, um, hosted by, I think, the Humanist Society of all people, uh, on the Ukraine um, crisis, such as it was at that point. Uh, and me and one of my friends went along to that and enjoyed it quite a lot. And I did, a few years later, actually, I think on the very day that Boris Johnson announced lockdown, I interviewed Peter for a podcast that I hosted back then, a student podcast for the Humanist Society. And yeah, we were speaking about Locked down its effects and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I think on most things he was right. Some things he was wrong. Uh, but I did feel quite intimidated. Uh, you know, uh, he, he's a very intimidating man to speak to on the phone, let alone in person, I, I would imagine. Uh, never had that pleasure myself. But, um, but a very difficult man to talk to. He's very, very forthright. Like you cannot get a word in, but it was fun.
1: Yeah, he doesn't do himself any favors sometimes. I, I think he's um he's the first to cry a wolf uh, online when when someone's uh, being ad hominem, for instance. But he's he's quite willing to do it himself. I I have some um, familiarity with the the, the the what are they called now? They're not they're not the British Humanist Association anymore, are they? They're sort of UK Humanists or something. Um, i I, I was a card-carrying member i I met their um was it president of the time and andrew uh, copson Copson, yeah Yeah, i i interviewed him during my master's actually um it was it was an interesting experience because it was i mean you'll probably bulk at this sort of (laughs) it was like entering a sort of church because you you go in (laughs) and there's there's a kind of nave and in that nave there were various busts you know one of which was of um, Burton russell this was near angel in london um and you go into the office you know it's the bishop and uh, andrew <laughs> Coppleston and um no is it a, in in like nice guy nice guy um yeah but i, I agree with you about peter i mean my ex- i was shitting myself uh, the morning i interviewed him because um uh ben um was late and i really needed my wingman um and he arrived pretty much at the same time peter arrived and we sort of led him down this labyrinthine corridor system below the college where the the (laughs) the the the, the newspaper office was it was it was basically a glorified cupboard with like stains on the carpet and probably asbestos in the ceiling and like empty bottles of gin laying around because uh, our former editor was was pretty much an alcoholic, but we all were. And um, Peter said on the way down, if if you take me any further, I, I'll I'll be led into the tube. And I think what he meant to say was, if you take me any further, I'm going to be summarily executed. Um, and he was charming and lovely and personable before we hit record. And the moment <laughs> we hit record, uh, he becomes the Peter Hitchens, you know, and then the moment we stop recording, he he, he reverts back to his charming self. So it, th- there's clearly an element of um, you know public performance going on. But uh, it was nerve wracking because, as you as you say, is quite unforgiving. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very very difficult man to interrupt. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, he's I'm got not- that
1: I thing. Think- um, he's got that thing where if you, if you interrupt him. Um, oh, he did this in a recent debate with Konstantin Kissin about Ukraine. He kind of, um, he throws his head back so that his nose mm. is like in the air and you can see both, like his nostrils are like caverns into eternity. Um, it's quite funny.
0: I do, I do think that, um, that I, think, I mean, of course, everyone performs publicly. Um, I mean, to go back to the psychological, since I asked you all about your motivations earlier, I think right now we are performing publicly because we know this is going to be public. That's just a fact of life. But it doesn't mean that it's untrue or fake. Yeah. or false. Um, you know, I mean, and to tie this back to the accents discussion, um, you know, sometimes when I've spoken to my family, they say, oh my god, you're fucking posh now. fucking <laughs> posh now. <laughs> it's like, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not like a deliberate thing. It's just a natural development um, evolution. And yet even then, I'll still like revert to very broad Scots um, among fellow Scots. Uh, but since I've spent so much time around non-Scots, uh, you know, I tend to talk a bit more intelligibly than might otherwise be the case. Although some people might disagree with that, I know I know some Americans who who, who probably still don't understand me very very easily.
1: I mean, I, I, for what it's worth, I I love the Scottish accent. Um, one of my lecturers at university was from Edinburgh. Um, and I, having been to Glasgow before, um, I was aware of the difference between the Glaswegian and, and Edinburgh Brogue. And uh, I have to say, I prefer the, the Edinburgh Brogue.
0: Good man, good man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I'm from a little town called Falkirk, which is halfway between Glasgow and Edinburgh. And uh, so I don't know what effect that had on me. What what does
1: um what does foal mean? Because obviously Kirk is church, is it not? What what does foal mean? I only ask because uh, I have a friend who, who comes from a place um which in Saxon means river of shit.
0: <laughs> well, you know what actually I don't know. It's it's that thing with the place you're from, you don't really pay much attention to it. Yeah. We can tell you what it means. Something church. Obviously, Church. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was it was in Braveheart. I think Battle of Falkirk it's a famous Scottish independence battle against the English. Um, but yeah, so so that's pretty much the centre of Scotland. And after that, I spent quite a lot of time in Glasgow, uh, and then lived in Edinburgh, spent a lot of time there, and now I'm in Fife. So I don't know. Like you probably could you know, i mean i don't think an outsider could tell the difference but yeah i think my accent's a bit all over the place like some people think i'm glaswegian uh and some people think i'm like oh you must be from edinburgh actually that was a bit glaswegian i was trying to do an edinburgh accent in there but that was <laughs> but...
1: it's interesting hearing you say all this actually um i i'm very much from the south of england southeast of england and uh it it's it's become apparent to me over the years just how little i know of uh people in the north of the country let alone scotland um i don't i don't mean that to sound patronizing in the slightest it just means you know I i i grew up in a very particular milieu and um whenever i've traveled north the northern accents have sort of taken me aback um as has the friendliness actually isn't it's 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 a cliche for a reason i mean northern people are just friendlier than southern people um but every time i've been to scotland it it it's almost been like visiting a foreign country because it it is it is a different country i mean it just is mm-hmm. um and it's impressed upon me just how out of place i i am um not 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 necessarily in sensibility but just just you know i i don't i don't come from that that place and um it it's always it, it's always been a pleasure to me to visit the north and scotland i i say visit scotland i mean i've been to scotland twice um but I, i've loved it both times i i um half, half of my family and my dad's side are scottish so it it, it you know r- runs within my veins i just um I suppose what I'm saying is it is an alien experience for me.
0: Have you ever been to Edinburgh?
1: I haven't. No. No, I uh mm, been to Glasgow shoot. and I I went on a family holiday when I was younger uh and I I could not for the life of me I I could find out but I haven't inquired. Uh I went on a family holiday god knows where and it was snowing we got snowed in and I climbed a mountain and I got <laughs> Uh, I came back and we we got snowed in with me, my family my my dad's brother's family, and we all got sick at the same time, so at the same time as we were snowed in, we all got this dreadful stomach bug, and there was one toilet um and we were we were just queuing up to projectile vomit mm-hmm. to this one hole in the ground. um that was my first experience of Scotland.
0: <laughs> it's a good first impression. <laughs> <laughs> but it's i, I down love... hell hell from there believe yeah, me <laughs> yeah. so. You should you should visit edinburgh though. it's uh, it's a wonderful city and i can it's say that it's not, it's not originally from edinburgh so i'm not like i'm not biased i'm not prejudiced um, but i think it's probably my second favorite city in the world after new york and quite possibly my favorite
1: i'm very city. jealous of you for, for for having gone to new york in the first place um, Put I, I have ones. to say, I I have to say, if, if someone if someone said to me right now, uh, Aussie, I can press a button, and you can be an American citizen, um, and and you 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 couldn't go back to England again. Um, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I honestly think I would say yes, because I I'm a i am play blues guitar. So I'm I'm a huge devotee of the blues, Delta blues, you know, Robert Johnson, all that. Um I, I would I would have a house in like Texas and I play a blues guitar on the porch, you know, mm-hmm. and I drink whiskey in the evening and I'd I very much exercise my Second Amendment rights and <laughs> Um, I'd, I'd, I would love to be an American. I don't know how you feel about that. W- would you like to be an American?
0: Um, you... Do you know what? I, I I don't think I could quite say that if... I mean, I would say that, yes, if I could press a button and become an American citizen, I would do it in a, an instant. I don't think I could quite go as far as saying that I would do that if I could never return. But certainly I would love to be an American.
1: yeah because because you could that's the thing right that's that that's the thing unlike unlike europe which still has the ethnic hangover of you know centuries of, of bloody history uh and i think i think hitchens made this point on various occasions you can be an american all you have to do is swear allegiance to the the constitution um and that that's it you're you're an american because america is a nation of immigrants and you can do that
0: and though ironically, it is um, quite difficult to emigrate to. Uh, I mean, I have made attempts, and yeah, there's a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of paperwork, and a lot of requirements and qualifications you must meet uh, to emigrate to America. So, yeah, I know someone. I, who's, um,
1: I know someone who's run a business in Texas, a successful business in Texas, living in Texas. Uh, for the better part of three years, and they were recently forced to leave America because they they hadn't got their you know their paperwork in order. It's, it's exceedingly difficult. Um, uh, your your best hope is to travel to Mexico and and, and cross the southern border. <laughs> <laughs> do
0: you know what? I may just do that.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Although if if Trump gets reelected, I mean his mum was Scottish, so maybe mm. there'd be some leniency. Uh, for illegal Scots.
1: But then you'd have to like golf, and golf is the most pointless sport ever, so
0: uh, but I could pretend.
1: Yeah. Just
0: just to get in. I'd be like, oh my mum knew your mum.
1: <laughs> like like the queen.
0: <laughs> Alright, so I mean we've gone on long past the time that we said we would. Uh
1: so you're you're a good interlocutor, that's why.
0: That's kind of kind. I'm just uh I'm just talkative. <laughs> but since we mentioned Denethor, who's, uh you know the rule of Gondor is his. Um, I wanted to come on to literature. Tell me about your favorite literature. Uh, I'm assuming Tolkien must. Feature there, uh, given that reference, um. But yeah, just tell me about that. Let's talk a little bit about literature.
1: Yes, let's. Um, actually, Tolkien is not among my favorites. Um, I've tried so hard to read the Lord of the Rings from start to finish, but um, I'm committing suicide here among certain people. Um, I, I, I. I genuinely find a lot of the Lord of the Rings quite boring um I first came to the Lord of the Rings through Peter Jackson's movies which I think having at long last read Tolkien uh, did a really good job of bringing that to life um but I just I can't abide Tolkien because my first uh... Uh Jonathan Meads, who if if you don't know him, you you'd be well served by by reading him. Jonathan Mead's, um, I recommend his collection of essays. Um um oh shit, what's it called? Uh oh you just Google Google Jonathan Meads and you'll you'll see it. Um but he said in I think um a review of Anthony Burgess's oove that um the the main responsibility of a writer is to be interesting in language and for me at least i'm not saying for others but for me tolkien fails that test um he's too um relentlessly saxon in his diction and i i, I, I get that that's the point but um for, it, it's not for me um so i i love middle earth but i i i don't read tolkien necessarily for pleasure um the other great fantasist of that period who people often neglect is uh mervyn peak um whose gormenghast trilogy is 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 absolutely wonderful um but it, no in, in terms of literature i mean it, it's particularly poetry actually that 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 is my life i mean um larkin Auden, shakespeare yates uh, Hughes. i mean these are the people that sustain me on a daily basis um Cormac McCarthy in recent american literature i, I think his blood meridian is, is one of the best novels i've ever read uh, moby dick um yeah just sort of as it were maximalist literature um i i it's it the, the distinction between minimalism and maximalism is 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 dogmatic um but i i tend to go in for writers who make good use of the language um, rather than plod along in a in a drooly utilitarian fashion, uh, I don't read much contemporary fiction. For instance, I just think it's boring. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what your views are.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, you know, as you were speaking, I mean, for me as well, I'm also, and I confess, I haven't, you know, apart from a lot, but I haven't read Lord of the Rings, the book. I've read The Hobbit. Um, but I haven't actually read *The Lord of the Rings* all the way through. Um, but there was uh, Salman Rushdie wrote something about um, about Tolkien, and uh, which I think I'm not sure how fair it is because I'm willing to give Tolkien uh, much more of a chance. Uh, but he he said um, that Peter Jackson is a better filmmaker than Tolkien is a writer. Which may just be true. I'm not sure. Do you do you think that? What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, I mean it it's it's one of those comparisons that's it, it's almost unfair from the get go because you're you're dealing with different mediums. But um I'd broadly agree with what he's saying. Um Yeah, no, I, I, I broadly agree with him. I mean uh, Tolkien set out to create, uh, explicitly to create a mythology for the English. And in doing so, he decided to uh, place the English pretty much before 1066. But of course, the English language is post 1066, as we know it. So you're dealing with essentially a Saxon slash Nordic and. Uh, In Mm. short a northern um a northern mythology uh you're not dealing with the latinate influence and to me that's um uh, at least aesthetically unsatisfactory um i mean peter jackson's i haven't seen the rings of power and i have no intention to (laughs) uh, because (laughs) i've heard it's terrible um but uh yeah, no, P- Peter Jackson. I mean, he said from the get go, he, he he wants to do justice to Tolkien. He doesn't want to put anything in the movies that isn't in the source material. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong; that there are there are passages of, of of Tolkien which which are incredibly moving, um, almost because of their um, socio-cultural ethnic. Purity, as it were, you know. He, he he's, he's, he. The, the, he, you have to actively look for, uh, the Latin linguistic influence in the three Lord of the Rings books. Um, but again, for me, it's, it's just not what I, what I thrill to. So I, I would agree with someone, Rushdie, broadly speaking.
0: I do love the, um, the recording of Tolkien. Doing the Theodin speech.
1: Oh yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? If you can understand what he's saying. <laughs> yes, because he used to get. Uh, he used to get. He a... does the accent as
0: well. He does the old English accent, or the Saxon accent, which I think is quite wonderful to listen to.
1: Yeah, no, there's a there's a wonderful biography of the Inklings by Humphrey Carpenter, in which Carpenter says that um, uh, based on textual evidence from, from the surviving Inklings um when on thursday evenings uh tolkien would would read passages from the lord of the rings which was then a work in progress um c.s lewis and and dyson and the others uh literally couldn't couldn't understand what the hell he was talking about he was so um he, he was so plummy and and quick uh so they got his son christopher who obviously eventually became the the um the sort of literary executive of the of Middle Earth essentially, to, to read the passages instead, and he was much more intelligible.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's strange. I mean, given that we've just spoken about about um, religion and God and myths and all the rest of it, um, yeah, things like um, ancient myth and uh, modern analogs like the Silmarillion, Um I mean I love all that stuff I love it like I wouldn't be without it um yeah you know I love all the 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 Norse myths and the great indian narratives uh and I think Tolkien did a wonderful job of 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 creating a new mythology and all the more impressive for the fact that he was one man uh to be able to create that mythology that was just as deep as all of these ancient stories um and yeah i I would just not be without that stuff i wouldn't you know atheist reductionist materialist that i am uh i love all that stuff truly
1: likewise likewise um Daniel, just just really quickly, um, I don't know if it, I'm assuming you're going to edit some of this after the fact. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm taking up too much of, of your time, but I, I'm happy to continue for for however long you want to. Um, but would it be remiss of me to request a, a brief pause in the recording so I can I can take a pee and top up my wine glass?
0: <laughs> yes, yes, that would be that would be the thing. cue, pause whilst we refresh ourselves, and a slightly awkward return when I try to find my bearings uh, where we left off in the conversation, which should happen just about now. So we're back. (laughs) Um... Yeah, I mean, I suppose, you know, when it comes to literature, uh, I mean, all the most of the people that you just listed um, are also some of my favorites. Um, But I would also say that Rushdie is probably my favorite living writer. Uh, I think he's uh, genuinely the the most creative. and beautiful writer on the planet at the moment and I think uh, you you know obviously the satanic verses is known for being the target of a fatwa and its author has been persecuted for decades for writing it Um, and but I do think that unfortunately that overshadows the beauty of that novel it's truly One of my favourite books of all time, Uh, I think, and I do wish it would be appreciated more as a work of literature rather than as a, um, you know, just as a sensationalistic um, footnote in the story of Salman Rushdie's persecution. And I think Rushdie himself would, would agree with that, that he would like that to be appreciated as a work of art in and of itself. Uh,
1: that's a good way of putting it um i'm afraid i haven't read it um in oh, fact I've, I've actually to my to my shame not read anything Salman Rushdie has ever written what yeah i know um i think i read the first few pages of midnight's children once but i i think i was too young to to come to terms with it um but he, he's certainly on my list um the the attack on him last year must really have gotten to you then.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I mean, I'm the complete opposite. I've read everything he's ever written, uh, and yeah, I think at least at least one or two of his novels will be novels that are remembered for a very long time, not for their. Um, Political significance, but for their merit as works of art. Um, but yeah, the 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 attack on him last year really um, affected me. Uh, it's, it's it's it's. I mean, I, I'm an I'm, I'm an unashamed Rushdie fanboy, and you know the the the, yeah, the whole thing last year was just. It hit me personally. It felt like someday I knew had been stabbed multiple times. It was a horrible, horrible time.
1: I mean, that's um, a huge compliment to him as a writer, though, isn't it? That his writings affected someone enough to think that someone they knew had been stabbed. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when Christopher Hitchens died back in 2011, my father woke me up. Uh, I was asleep he woke me up and um and said just thought just thought you should know that Chris virgins is dead and I I couldn't compute you know it it was a genuine blow I felt like a, a personal friend had died I I thought no that that can't be that cannot be um so I, I sympathize um but it's nice to know that his writings um appeal to you because from what I can gather. Um, I mean, you you're familiar with the the whole masterclass thing?
0: Yeah, yeah, the yeah.
1: Yeah, he, he I think he was in one of them. And um, in the trailer to that masterclass, he said, you know, there are there are two kinds of novels or, or two kinds of writers, um, the everything novel and the the sort of pure golden thread novel and the former the 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 latter the the pure golden thread novel would be um you know hemingway's the old man and the sea mm-hmm. and uh the everything novel is you know it's a bit like martin Amos's distinction between a writers and b writers you know a writers they they tell a they tell a story and then that's that's the, the book's done uh, it, it's plot but the 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 b writer um is someone for whom language is the the first port of call not the telling of a story but the the, the language and ideally you tell a really good story in really good language but um rushti seems to me from from my my distance from him to be the latter kind you know he he's um from what I remember from the, the first few pages of Midnight's Children, it's it's, you know, it's this feast of feast of language. It, it, mm. It's not it's not um, he's not in any rush. You know, it's it, it's a it's a linguistic um, pleasure.
0: Yeah. No, I think um, I think that distinction is also between. I think Rush did put it elsewhere. It's between the people who, and it's not a qualitative um, judgment. It's just um, that some writers try to encompass the whole world in a novel and some simply take one thread of the world and explore that and thus reveal the world. Yeah. Both of these approaches are uh, can be found throughout literature. And uh, Rushdie's done both, but I think he's much more the sort of world-encompassing Type of novelist. Uh, he can yeah. be very difficult to read sometimes, especially in the satanic verses. I mean, the satanic verses is is a difficult book to read. Uh, it's full of references and um, historical echoes and linguistic tricks. Um, it takes a lot of effort to read. It's a bit like Moby Dick in that way. It's it's not something that you can just sit down on the beach and read easily it's something that you've got to put effort into and perhaps look up a few <laughs> words and references and uh, to to understand it properly um but I, I do i do think it's genuinely one of the most beautiful novels that i've ever read
1: well it means a lot to hear that from you and and um i off the back of that i mean that there's that high praise indeed so i i i um I will certainly add it to my list and shunt it towards the the top. Um, I'm reminded of Will Self actually in this connection. Um, oh, uh, this, this could thinks... go way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, he 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 suffers from um, everything itis, as he says. You know, he he starts writing a novel, and uh, and his books are quite world encompassing, as you say. Anyway, uh, but he he you know. I, I think the way he put it in an interview was that he could be walking down the street and he'll see like a, like a packet, you know, crisp packet or a plastic bag or, or something like that. And he'll, he'll read the label and it will say, you know, like made in China or made in Nigeria or composed of this plastic, or whatever. And somewhere in that novel, that factoid has to appear, mm. um, which I think is quite amusing. Um, uh yeah, and no, I had something else on that. I, I can't remember what it was. Um but no, I all, all of these writers, uh that, that was it Terry Eagleton as well. Um uh he he contrasts um uh is it uh, John Updike with um Evelyn War. You know, he basically says, generally speaking, uh, this is Eagleton. Uh, I th- I think it's in his book um uh what's it called? How to, how to read literature or something like that. Uh, generally speaking, literature, um, what 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 we call literature is is quite maximalist. You know, it, it errs on the side of bulk and experimentation. Uh, but every now and then you get a writer like Evelyn Waugh, you know, who's who's not erring on the side of bulk. He's actually quite telegraphic in his style. Um, so there's there's no there's no hard and fast um, rule by which we can define literature. Uh, i I tend to think the best test of literature is is the the you know it's it survival through time but mm. I, I I think we have very broadly similar aesthetic tastes when it comes to literature both sounds of it
0: yes no I think I mean I am I'm a bit of a blue mate, uh when it comes to literature I think the canon is a real thing that matters um that one shouldn't be dogmatic about, um, but that one should appreciate for the fact that the works of the canon have uh, provided some of the best uh, insights uh, to human life that we have yet experienced. Um, And I don't think that that doesn't exclude non-Western sources. Uh, You know, for example, Chinua Achebe, Uh, things fall apart I think that's a wonderful novel brilliant novel Um, and these are all things that can be incorporated into the canon um, and that do shed light upon the human condition
1: yeah um, what what was his name again Chinchuanabi? Uh,
0: Chinua Achebe sorry
1: Anyway, Chevy, yeah, I think it was him who wrote a, a fantastic essay on a website called The Millions, um, about um, the paucity of, of of contemporary novelists when it comes to to prose style. Um, uh, I recommend I'll, sh- I'll share it with you after the chat, but it, it it's really good.
0: Yeah, I mean it's <clears throat> it's interesting that, um, that 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 the English language has become a global language. Uh, you know people like Rushdie and the Chebe. Um, they use the English language in their own way, and uh, I think Rushdie said uh, the the English language long ago ceased to be the property of the English people. You know it truly is a global language now that's been adopted by 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 almost everyone on the planet, and in many cases, produced um, great works of literature to rival the greats of the, well, to go back to our previous controversy, quote-unquote, indigenous <laughs> canon.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that that's quite true. Um, I thrill to American literature now more so than I do to English, you know, na- native English literature. Um, I just think I, I know it's a bit of a cliche to say this, but I, I just think the way that the American canon uh, handles the English language is is just more 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 fresh and exciting. Mm. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, I can't think of a, you know, on 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 the basis of that comparison. I mean, like Roth. And uh, Bello, like, I don't think there's really a native, a native, quote-unquote, English writer that can compare.
1: Yeah, um, well, we don't, we don't have any Manhattans. That's that's the problem. I mean, even <laughs> London, um, London. I mean, you've been to Manhattan, so you'd be in a position to to falsify this claim, but. Um, the impression i get of america and and of manhattan is that um it is it is just more exciting than than anywhere in england um mean, maybe not right now this instance um places like manhattan and and you know at, at a broader level california they're, just, they're so terribly governed that a lot of these places have become quite undesirable um
0: well, man, manhattan is it's um I mean I've been, I've been to London a lot of times I, I'm, I'm quite fond of London in a way but I wouldn't live there but I would love to live in Manhattan and Manhattan is it's it's mythological
1: Yeah that's a good way of describing it I mean I I would uh, I would love to have lived in London or Manhattan in say the 19 70s 80s you know or 90s even um i mean my my own mother um immigrant from australia she actually i should i should say that she, she's actually papua new guinean um but she only calls herself australian because papua new guinea was um was uh protectorate of australia at the time um so she she's you know she's got quite dark skin and her sisters have um quite dark skin like po- polynesian basically um but she moved to dean street in the 80s and she could afford to live on dean street in soho in london on a waitress's wage i mean it's just astonishing to think now um but uh yeah that, that whole kind of friends slash seinfeld era um mm-hmm. i'd love to have been in in manhattan or, or london during that time it would have been incredible
0: are you an
1: admirer of uh, Leonard Cohen? Um only to the extent that I like his music. I'm I'm no great um I don't know much about him. I that's what I mean really. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I love it. Um although uh, his rendition of Alleluia, um even though he wrote it, I prefer Jeff Buckley's, I have to say.
0: Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Okay, uh, yeah, now I don't. I do not like you now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> My favorite contemporary band, for what it's worth, is uh, Fleet Foxes. I don't know them. Oh god, you're missing out. Now I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, so before I finish off with one final question, yeah, um, I do need to say because I'm such a good and conscientious person. There are a couple of the points I made earlier um, regarding naturalism and science. I do owe to Richard Carrier. And some of the points that I made about Roger Scruton, I owe to Nick Cohen. Um, So, being the very good person that I am, I want to pay, uh, I want to make reference uh, to those guys uh, that some of the points I made are not entirely original. But then again, nobody's uh, points really are. But I do want to just uh, just reference them and uh, make clear that I am by no means making any original points. God, I'm so good. Um...
1: <laughs> for what it's worth, for um, the sake of thoroughness, I, I am aware of Richard Carrier and I've read his book on... Uh... I can't remember what it was called now. It was a big fat book about metaphysical naturalism. Um, uh, but no, I mean, he's an interesting guy.
0: But um, apart from being incredibly humble and, uh, and uh, paying my dues to the people I've read, uh, I have... We'll actually I have two more questions, but they're pretty quick questions. First of all, what are your upcoming projects or articles
1: um
0: that's 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 for you mostly
1: <laughs> yeah um honestly uh, honestly I don't know um I I tend to throughout the course of a given year I will have a number of you know quote unquote quick takes and and larger I mean for instance my 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 piece about why I converted to Christianity that that was um, that took a good couple of months to write Um, but the answer to that question is I don't know.
0: Interesting Uh, I mean well we can go into a discussion here about writing Um, like none of my pieces and I'm not saying this as a boast, I'm saying I'm just saying that none of my pieces take long to write. And I don't think that means that I'm particularly good. I think that means that I'm quite lazy. I could I could spend a lot more time on the things that I write than I actually do. and I think they would be much better for it. but I just do not have the patience to spend that much time on a piece.
1: I mean, yeah, it depends on the kind of writer you are. Um, I mean, some of my pieces I I, I you know, bash out in twenty minutes, you know, and others take, as I say, months. Um, it it doesn't matter, you know. Ultimately, what matters is um, how your piece is received.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I guess I'm just just lazy. <laughs>
1: me, me too. Me too. It t-
0: it takes a lot for me to to finally put pen to paper and publish something yeah and even then i don't want to spend too much time on it because i'm just i get bored quite easily (laughs) um okay final question um so outside of writing about politics and religion and metaphysics and immigration and all the rest of it what do you do to relax? What are your hobbies and interests?
1: Um, yeah, good question. Um, I, uh, I like, um, I like signing off from the machine. You know, the from from this this merry-go-round slash uh rat race treadmill thing um that we're all engaged in um i work part-time restoring historic barges some of them over well actually all of them over 100 years old Mm -hmm. um and that gives me great satisfaction um i like walking my dog i like cooking i like writing poetry um Just walk walking, actually, just just walking around my town and and speaking to people um, because I, I know I, having grown up in the town, I know like every other person who walks past me, which has its blessings but also its curses. Um, yeah, just um, yeah, I, I like watching TV. Uh, frankly, I, I I'm watching Jack Ryan at the moment, which is um, I'm I'm a stickler for like, I I have a weakness for uh for. A, you know, tough guy army men shooting bad guys and, and all that kind of thing. Uh You know, odds and ends, odds and ends. Um, uh, yeah, that that's that's what I like doing outside of uh, outside of this.
0: Yeah, no, I I remember Ben used to. Well, I don't know if he still does, but um Ben lived on a barge, which I always thought oh, I would love to do that because I've had a. A fascination with barges since
1: I was a kid. Yeah, bar- barge. Um, well, bar- yeah, barge is one word for. It. I mean, he he lived on a, a houseboat. Um, the first of which was fifteen feet long, and the second of which was thirty-two feet long, if I recall. Uh, you know, narrow boats, canal boats. Mm. Uh, the, the barges I help um, maintain and occasionally get to sail. Um, uh, the largest of them is, uh, I think, ninety ninety eight feet. Long. I mean it's it's fucking huge. Mm-hmm. Um so this is a different kettle of fish entirely. Um but um I mean that that's um I mean where I live the barges are 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 they kind of make the town like I don't think many people would come here to visit because we're kind of on the map. Um if it weren't for the barges. Mm-hmm. Uh to to be able to help maintain them is is a real privilege actually because it's they're maintained using historic methods i mean i i was tasked um in the winter of last year with painting the water line on on the biggest barge and i said um well i'm obviously going to need masking tape because you know cutting in um cutting in a straight line with a paintbrush is exceedingly difficult without a without masking tape And my boss said, no, there's you don't, you, you can't use masking tape (laughs) because that's not how it's not how it would have been done. You know, when, when the boat was built in 1906 or whatever, whenever it was. Um, so I had to do it by eye and it took me hours, but you know, once it's done, you, you feel this great sense of satisfaction because you're, you're, you're connecting with, with the past and how things were done in the past. Um, you know things like that give me i i mean don't don't get me wrong i i it 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 pays so there's that Mm. but um i mean i i often i often consider myself quite boring to be honest with you i'm i'm a bit of a hobbit i don't like unless i'm convinced into going on holiday i won't go on holiday um i'm i'm content to just potter about and water my house plants and and write poetry, and, and you know, do do these odd things. But um, I have tried to make a concerted effort uh, recently to to not be so um, you know bound up with the with the the cycles of of living online because I, I just don't think it's good for anyone.
0: Mm. No, definitely not.
1: What What about you? What What do you do outside of this?
0: Well. God. <laughs> well, I'm also quite boring. I must say, um, I, I just work, um, work on my day job, make money, and uh, go out when I can. Though I do, I do, I do have an itch for things remote, as thing as uh, Ishmael said in Moby Dick. I want to land on barbarous coasts and visit barbarous lands. Um, so I do love to travel, um. Except that I can't do it that much because I've not really got the means to do so. But uh, if I could, I would go everywhere in the world, especially to those places uh, where danger is near.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. I was going to say that the danger zones. I mean, that is the problem, isn't it? With um, with with the contemporary with with the present day um. We are uh, I can't remember who said this we're with um our generation or our generations um we're we're too late to explore the the polar ice caps, but we're we're too young to um to go to Mars, you know we're we're stuck in this kind of unadventurous um you know rut um we we can't be explorers anymore.
0: <laughs> it depends how you define it. I mean, surely. It's a very personal thing like yeah okay we can't be explorers but we stay in our own little corner of the planet but actually you can be an explorer if you just go somewhere just go just go abroad um and preferably to places that people from your part of the world don't generally go to for example um i'm seriously considering going to ukraine soon Um and a dream of mine is also to go to Iraq, Baghdad. Um, and, uh, well, I mean, I used to want to go to Kabul, and I still do, but it's probably a bit um, impractical at the moment to visit Afghanistan, let us just say. But it's, it's it's what you make it. It's just what you make it.
1: Yeah, yeah um, you wouldn't want to end up like that uh, miles... Chap, um, who so far as I can't remember his second name, Lord, he's self styled Lord Miles something rather. (laughs) He um he he got uh captured by the Taliban and hasn't been heard from since.
0: Um,
1: I I suppose what I was driving at is that there there are no more like unexplored vistas um on the earth, and I'd love there's that the um. Is that um uh God, was it shackle i think yeah it was shackleton um who by the way for anyone listening who likes whiskey the shackleton whiskey is shit don't try it it may be cheap but it's it's awful you're better off with a single malt or johnny walker black label but um shackleton he, he the, the the advertisement he put out in the papers was you know uh needed men uh sure and certain danger probably you will die but if you are successful fame or, or you know something something like that and um i just think oh god i i I'd, I'd love to open up a newspaper and and see that kind <laughs> of advertisement nowadays think god yeah i would sign up i would sign up um but you're right it's what you make of it um you mentioned Iraq, I was kind of reminded of your conversation with uh, Ben Sixsmith, because you 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 discussed Iraq at, at some length in that conversation. And uh, um, it was interesting to me because I, I'm not good on geopolitics and I have no very settled views on Iraq, but it, it was interesting hearing you, you know, debate that.
0: Well, perhaps one day we shall get into it.
1: Um yeah. Although I should,
0: I should say, <laughs> when when you talk when you spoke about the uh, the, the shackles and advert, uh, my first thought was, <laughs> it seems like a grinder advertisement. <laughs> <Men>. <laughs> well, um, you know, you're stuck on a
1: ship in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of men. I I'm sure something like that was going on in the background. <laughs> yeah Uh, so everyone everyone likes an
0: icicle (laughs) i will not inquire any further (laughs) uh so yeah i think that well that's a good moment to end on (laughs) i think so yeah well thank you very much for having me
1: on it's been a pleasure
0: yes yes you too uh do you have anything else to add anything that you particularly want to get off your chest
1: no um um I mean I could I could chill and say subscribe and share and all the rest of it, but um no I, I, it, it's 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 been a pleasure.
0: Always chill. <laughs> Never don't chill. <laughs> all right. But yeah, it has been a pleasure and uh thanks again. And I know we've gone on for quite a lot longer than we intended to, but uh it's been quite enjoyable and hope you agree.
1: I do. Thank you.